That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. Surprised by nothing. I guess I shouldn't be surprised by what's going on with the college football playoff management group. Have you heard what they're doing? Well, on uh, Tuesday, the presidents and chancellors of the major conferences met in Dallas at a hotel near the Dallas airport, and they agreed on the 5 plus 7 model for the expanded ball playoff, meaning top five conference champions, seven at-large teams, 12-team playoff, have at it, everybody. This is the playoff we've all been waiting for. 24 hours later, second meeting. This one between the 10 FBS commissioners. And there were actually 11 people in the room because Teresa Gold, the new commissioner of the Pac-12, accompanied George Klyovkov, the outgoing commissioner of the Pac-12, to that same conference room at a hotel near the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, DFW. They arrived there, nine-hour meeting. You've heard a lot of what has come out of that meeting. Yesterday afternoon and evening, the reports started to leak out. Big Ten and SEC asking for an expansion of the 12-team playoff. They want to go to 14 teams. And, you know, the SEC is going to have 16 members next season. The Big Ten is going to have 18. So you're talking about 34 powerhouse schools, a lot of big-name brands, Ohio State, Michigan, Oregon, Alabama, Georgia. You're talking about the haves in college football. But they want to expand to 14, and that's the one of the scenarios that they are floating out there, possible expansion to 14. But they want automatic qualifiers for the four power conferences and that multiple automatic qualifiers, not just the conference champion. They want the second-place team, third-place team, fourth-place team in the Big Ten and the SEC to be automatically in the playoff multiple teams in the ACC and the Big 12 as well. The group of five, which Oregon State and Washington State would theoretically become part of, was left in several of the proposed models with a single automatic qualifying spot. The rest would have to be at-large if there's any at-large at all that's left over once once the big boys take the uh, automatic berths. Now, I asked Washington State President Kirk Schultz this morning, where is this going to end up? And he told me that he has a call later today. They'll have a better sense of where things will be headed. But he said at the end of the day, quote, the primary appeal 
of a very large conference is multiple access points to the playoff. Well, coincidentally, the primary appeal of the small conferences is access to the playoff at all. And the Pac-2 would like to have some clear access to the CFP. So would the Mountain West Conference. So would the, you know, uh, all, you know the, the Mike Oresco's conference, the American. You know, everybody wants access to the playoff, but the Big Ten and the SEC, 34 combined teams next season, including Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, Texas, and Oklahoma. Those are newcomers. Those conferences are trying to broker guarantees of increased access in the playoff. They do not appear interested in leaving their fate in the hands of a selection committee. Because if you looked at it in most years, you'd have the SEC and the Big Ten combining to get about seven berths anyway. Like, you know, if you just let this play out with the committee, as I think they should, you would have multiple teams in the SEC, multiple teams from the Big Ten, that could theoretically make a 12- or a 14-team playoff field. But here's where I'm having a problem with this. Like, I get it. I get why the SEC and the Big Ten want more teams in. They think they have better teams, and it means more money. I get it. But one of the reasons that you and I love the NCAA basketball tournament, it's the matchups. It, they're rare. They're unique. They're interesting. Um, you, you know, And if you give the Big Ten Conference four automatic bids, for example, there's a real possibility that we're going to see, I'm just going to make an example here, it could be Michigan-Ohio State playing three times in a given season. Once in the regular season, once in the conference title game, once in a playoff game. Or it could be Oregon and Michigan or Oregon-Ohio State playing three times in a given season. Now, I don't care how much Oregon or how much Ohio State you love. Three times in a given season is too much for a college football program. Regular season matchup, conference title game, that should be it. The conference title game should amount to that's, you know, the winner of that conference title game is getting the automatic berth. They're in. The other team's in at large. Now, they might still play a third team, but I would rather see Tulane get in there. I would rather see Boise State get in there. I would rather see Washington State or Oregon State get in there if they're deserving. If you got like a 10, 11, 12 win group of five team, I'd rather see them mix it up in the spirit of the NCAA tournament. And I don't like this 14-team playoff format at all. And I also don't think it's going to end up at 14. A lot of people out there speculating that it will end up around 16, that there's no way it'll just stop at 14. Why? Well, money. Because think about it. Those first-round games are going to end up being super lucrative to the teams that get to play them. Because right now, under a uh, proposal that would include a 14-team uh, playoff, you would have the top two seeds getting buys. So let's just theorize or hypothetically point out, like, let's say Ohio State and Alabama, or let's use Georgia. Ohio State and Georgia end up as the top two seeds in a 14-team playoff. Okay? Everybody else is playing a first-round game. Campus of the higher-seeded team gets to host the game. And... Uh, Bob Thompson, the retired president of Fox Sports, pointed out on Twitter, he thinks the paydays for the opening round games are going to fall in the neighborhood of $3 million to $4 million per school, plus additional revenue that comes with hosting the game. So the team that hosts the game is going to make maybe another million bucks of being able to have the game 
in, in Columbus, Ohio, or at Autzen Stadium, or wherever that game is for that that uh, that seeded team that is three through twelve or three through fourteen in this case. So Bob Thompson is saying, you know, will the top seeds really want buys, or will they be like, hey, wait a minute, why are we penalized for getting a buy? Like, why are we getting a buy, but also ending up not being able to host the game, not being able to generate that extra revenue? Like, you know, what's the problem there? So he thinks that the CFP is going to get to 16 teams really quickly. More automatic qualifiers. Good for the game, bad for the game. On one hand, it would add some emphasis to the regular season because you'd have the teams that were sitting in, like, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh place jockeying for position within their conference. That's a benefit. But I kind of think they're already jockeying for position within their conference, aren't they? Like, are they really going to just try a little harder? Is it going to add a little more drama if the teams that are sitting in, you know, that position of, uh, you know, uh, three, four, five, six, uh, are, is it going to make them play a little harder? I don't know. But I'll buy it as a benefit because some people are selling it as a benefit. I also think that... Um, that, you know, you've got everybody focused on their own conference. Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, came on this show Friday. He said he supports an expansion of the NCAA tournament field. Stephen remembers getting all upset when Sankey was saying, well, here's why I uh, support the expansion of the tournament field. And by and large, it was, hey, how about, you know, some teams in the SEC that don't get into the tournament, he thinks they're better than maybe some of those teams from the Southland Conference or the Big Sky Conference and other places that get automatic bids. He's just looking for more money in an expanded field, wants his teams involved. I get it. It's his job as the commissioner of the SEC to be that guy. That's Greg Sankey's job. Tony Petiti in the Big Ten, it's his job to do what's best for the Big Ten. Brett Yormark at the Big 12, it's his job. You know, it's now Teresa Gold of the Pac-12's job to do its best for her conference. But can I ask a question? I'm, like, raising my hand amid all the noise. And the question I have is, you know, um, excuse me, uh, is anybody doing what's best for the game? I know everybody's doing what's best for themselves, but is there anybody who's doing what's best for college football here? There's a real absence of leadership on top of the college football structure everybody's looking out for themselves nobody's looking out for the road in the last 10 years four team playoff only three of the 40 participants were located in the pacific time zone does anybody else see a problem with that we felt left out and it's not like we didn't have teams that you know could be part of it we were just left out and forgotten and i'm kind of wondering what they're forgetting now 503-417-7575. Steven, as I float 14 teams, you on board with that? Not on board with that? Automatic qualifiers? How many? I mean, I'm not really on board even for the 12. Like, I'm I'm okay with it, but I'm not, I'm not on board fully yet. I need to see how it works out because there's not 12 teams that deserve to really get a chance at the Nationals high. Like, four maybe not be enough in most but. In most seasons, I feel like four is enough, and we really kind of know like it's one or two teams that are going to win the national title. This past year was one of the one of the outliers where all four teams really had a chance. But you talk about going up to fourteen, going up to sixteen. When's it going to stop? And if we're talking about teams, Money. 
that's the that's the big key right there. And you talk about teams, you know, sixth and seventh in their conference, you know, competing for that automatic qualifying spot. Well, you want to know who is seventh in the SEC? Texas A and M. You know who I don't want to see competing for a national title? <laughs> Texas A and M. Yeah, like they're not good. And so for me, like the more we expand it the less emphasis on the regular season. And I think that's where we get so much fun out of college football and it differentiates itself from the NFL. And I do think that if it continues to expand in the playoff and keep adding more and more teams, it's going to be just the professional, you know, a minor league professional NFL league and the regular season is not going to matter as much. And, And that's my problem is that, if you match the on-field stuff between college and the NFL, the NFL crushes it by a mile. It's not even close. But it's about the atmosphere. It's about the regular season. It's about the rivalry. Right. And so for me, I, I just don't want to add more teams to the playoff. You're thinking like a fan, though. And, and you're right. Like you're, There's not 16 teams in most years that you could argue should be in the playoff and legitimately have a chance to win. But you're talking logically. And I think what they're doing in that room is all of the commissioners are just going – how do I get the maximum number of my teams in this thing? Why? Because those games are going to be worth three or four million dollars each to each school participating. Plus, there's going to be home games in there. So, like, if you are the SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, you want four automatic bids and you want to be able to budget every year for four automatic bids because in a year where you're really good, maybe you can justify an at-large berth, an extra one, you get a fifth team in, in a year where you're bad, maybe uh, you, you know, you're still going to get four. But their thinking is not rooted in like trying to determine a national champion. Their thinking is rooted in how much money can we take and can we take a bigger slice of the tournament pie or the playoff pie than others and the Big Ten and the SEC, they are. Uh, I think they're up to no good here. And I asked somebody who was in the room. I said, "How does this work? How does how do they reach a consensus?" And one of the conference commissioners who was in the room told me, "You have to battle it out in the room. It's basically you got to develop clout. You got to try to persuade others. Multiple AQs, automatic qualifiers, were put on the table." This conference commissioner that I spoke with said that uh, he opposes the concept, and uh, you know, it, and and I think there there's going to be some, there's going to be of the ten FBS commissioners in that room. There's going to be two that are going, hey, the SEC and the Big Ten should get four teams each, and there's going to be some opposition. And I hope to high heck that they don't come out of that room with a fourteen or sixteen team playoff that still has the group of five getting one automatic qualifier i don't want to see that they're going to try to turn this thing into the bcs turn this thing into the four-team playoff i don't like it one bit your teams should justify their existence in the playoff on the field i'm okay with a committee going hey you know what the sec has a great field this year um let's put five teams in i'm okay if that happens but i don't want some system that says no matter what the big 10 and the sec are getting four each uh, to me, that is rife with problems. 503-417-7575 is the number. Go ahead. Don't you think that's going to happen anyways, though? Like, you're telling me that the committee, whoever this you know committee is going to be voting on it, isn't going to see the dollar sign and say, yeah, we would rather have LSU in this thing than, you know, a team like Arizona or the, you know, whoever deserves it in that situation. Like, I feel like, yeah, they may not get the quote-unquote automatic, qual- automatic qualifying bids, but since it's all about the money, they're going to get who they want in that bracket, in that tournament. 
They're going to try. And I think this year, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten probably would have got seven in together, but not eight. And I'm really interested to see how this shakes out. And keep in mind, there's 10 FBS commissioners in that room, and there's only four of them that are Power Four conference commissioners. So you have the ACC, the Big 12, the Big Ten, and the SEC commissioners in there. You got the Pac-12 in there. Uh, Obviously, you got the Mountain West Conference commissioner in there. You've got, uh, uh, you know, the American Conference Commissioner in there. So you have some dissenting voices in the room. I just hope to high heck that but, somebody's advocating on behalf of fans in the game. Like, nobody's thinking about the game. Nobody wants to, I don't want to see 16 teams and automatic qualifiers. Like, we might as well just say, why, you know, and why play conference championship games if you're going to get four teams in in the Big Ten? What's the conference championship game for? And think about just, it, even with the with the four team this year, had Oregon beat Washington, they weren't getting in. They're putting Georgia in over Oregon. And you're telling me that's not going to happen with a bigger field? Like, they're still going to leave out the teams that they feel like aren't in the big-time conferences. And so I just feel like there's going to be no change. It's going to be, hey, how many SEC Big Ten teams can we put in no matter what? Let's go to the phone lines. Mark in Portland, lead us off. Mark, what do you make of it? Well, I don't know why you guys are so surprised because I go back to the <laughs> the BCS at the at the beginning. Look at look at the Big Ten and the SEC. They play four or five games against each other on New Year's Day every single year, and 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 a lot of times the Pac-12, their second place team, ends up in the Alamo Hole or or the Alamo Bowl. I mean, it's it's uh, it's power. And, and control and greed, and they got the media, I believe, working with them. You guys would know more about that, but ESPN is in cahoots with the SEC and the Big Ten. So uh, they're, this is a power play, John. They, they want uh, four of their teams in each conference in the, in the playoff, and it's, it does damage. I, I love the playoffs. I, this is going to be better than what it's been watching right. these stupid bowl games that are completely irrelevant. But I want it yep. to be a fair process where – Every single conference champion controls their their destiny. That's very important to me. And if there's a if there's a, you know, let's say Oregon State beats Oregon and goes undefeated and loses the championship game in their conference and and the, and they they don't get in, that would be wrong. If they right. only lost one game, you know, they should go. They should. I don't. I can't believe I'm advocating for a committee, but uh, but there's got to be a fair process to if we're going to have 14 teams. Uh, they should be ranked teams, and, and yes. there shouldn't be four teams from any conference, in my opinion. Three yep. the max. Really. I, and I, I agree with you. And I think, I think obviously, it's rooted in money. Each of these conferences wants as big a piece of that pie because it's going to be guaranteed money with TV money. Plus, again, the first-round games will be home games for the higher-seeded team. So you're talking about you know three or four or five million bucks per school when you get into this thing, it would mean a lot for Oregon to get in. It would mean a lot for Oregon State to get in. Can you imagine Oregon State in the playoff? And if they ended up in a situation where they hosted a game, like, you know, and I, and it could happen. Uh, but as it stands right now, I'm being told by people in the room that, uh, you know, the group of five is being told, you know, no matter the model, you know, we have you down for one team. And to me, it feels like such a token and it's so disrespectful because there are some years, and we know these years, where we've been able to look back and go, gosh, Boise State was every bit as good as, you know, Oklahoma. Boy, you know, let me see Boise State in a Sugar Bowl. Let me see. Like, like I would love to see a really good group of five team in that playoff before I'd love to see the fourth place team from the Big Ten or the SEC in that playoff. Let's go to Tony in Oregon City. Tony, what's on your mind? 
Hey, John. So I have two things. First off, um, I would rather have the lowest seed SEC or Big Ten school host a school that is much better than they are and have that school beat the living crap out of them in their home, and that would show much so, so, show so much for their resume. And secondly, there's nothing wrong with football doing the same thing that basketball does with 64 teams. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to see sixty-four football teams, so let's let's draw the line somewhere. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm even okay. Like, I'm okay if you say, "Look, there's a lot of money in this. If it's a six, if it's a twelve-team playoff, there's a lot more money if it's a fourteen-team playoff. And gosh, there's even more money if there's a sixteen-team playoff. This would be really good for college football to have the four or five top conference champions get automatic bids, top five ranked conference champions get in, so it's your power four, plus it's your group of five top ranked team conference champion in in this tournament. Great. But guess what? That's five. The other 11 teams all at large. And so in a year like last year, you're getting Oregon State, you're getting Arizona, you're getting some, you know, you're getting some new teams in there. What I don't want to see is the Big Ten and the SEC put on a bib and start eating like their boss hog on an episode of, you know, Dukes of Hazard. I, you know, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see anybody licking their fingers. I don't want to see barbecue sauce all over Greg Sankey's face. I just think it needs to be, you know, hey, look, if the SEC is the best conference and they got five, they have five teams, four teams that justify inclusion, put them in. Committee will put them in. Have some faith in that. But, uh, you know, I, d- I have heard from at least two of the ten commissioners that were in that room who say that they oppose the concept. And I say, how does this vote work? If the Power Four want all the bids for themselves, can they just do it in a vote? And this uh, source that was in the room says they have to battle it out. There's a lot of developing clout. There's a lot of people trying to persuade people. Um, this is like uh, a reality television show. Hell, they're missing out on opportunities. They should be miking up all the commissioners and put them in a house over a weekend and have them, you know, do it like Big Brother or uh, what? You know, Greed. They should call the show Greed and make it a reality television show. We got a great show for you today. Kelly Graves, Oregon women's basketball coach, will be on the program. We'll talk to him about how tough it is. He's been to a Final Four. He's got some job security, obviously. Uh, How tough is it to have a season where you're struggling? And what is wrong with Oregon women's basketball? Kelly Graves in the 5 o'clock hour. Alan Benavides will be joining us, general manager of the Eugene Emeralds minor league baseball team. They've got a problem. Major league baseball closing in on minor league baseball, making demands. He's trying to save minor league baseball in Eugene. We'll talk about it at 4 o'clock. Up next, though, Punch and Audio. Got a lot to talk about. I guess I'm not surprised that the SEC and the Big Ten are plotting. It just blows my mind sometimes that, uh, you know, in the NFL, you know, part of what makes the NFL special, what makes it great, what makes every season exciting, is the idea that the small market teams like Kansas City can compete with the big market teams like the New York Giants, San Francisco 49ers. There's revenue sharing There's uh, a system that is designed to create parity. The teams with the worst records have the softest schedule the following season and draft higher. Everybody's got the same amount of money to spend. 
In college athletics, we don't have that. And in fact, we have a system that for the last 10 years has left the Pacific time zone completely out of the playoff all but three times in 10 years. Oregon in 2015, Washington and Washington again this last year. So it's, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that the SEC and the people who are controlling the playoff and the Big Ten are huddling up and behind closed doors in Dallas are trying to get you know more and more teams in the playoff and they want to guarantee that those teams are going to be in the playoff. And a lot of the media who cover this stuff live in the Big Ten or the SEC footprint and they just spend all their time you know, dishing propaganda. I just can't stand it. Let's play some punch it audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Ross Dellinger and Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports, talking about the CFP. Just listen to the conversation. Punch It's it. better for everybody, the 12-team playoff, except probably the conferences with a lot of huge brands who just expanded to 16 and 18 teams. They say, right? They can. They say. So let's that segue into well, who what the hell yesterday. made you do that? That's right. That's a good I point. I did not see the gunpoint where he said, hey, we got to get 18 teams in here. You know, uh, all of a sudden, the little, the, 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 all the middle of the Big Ten go, wait a minute, we're never going to make the playoff. <laughs> you shouldn't have invited these other guys, but you wanted your money. Everything here is about money. Well, or you shouldn't have accepted the invite for some of those teams. Or, yeah, right? don't uh-huh. accept it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, wait. We're not- <laughs> UCLA. <laughs> well, UCLA's never getting in. USC might have some problems. Oregon, I think, will be okay. Washington will have problems. And I think, you know, you look at uh, Oklahoma and Texas, I don't know how easy it's going to be for Oklahoma to matter in the SEC. I mean, and Texas as well. They may they may get their teeth handed to them. Well, think about it this uh, way, John. If you, if, like we're saying, if three teams get in from the Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Oregon, one of them is left out every year. So if you're a, if you're not even one of those four teams – how are you getting in the playoff? You're not getting in the That's playoff. why they're talking about they want four spots guaranteed and they want 14 or 16 teams. They want to expand the playoff because they want more teams in. It just I mean, waters it, it down, doesn't it? It waters it down. And then, look, if you're going to put more teams in, if you're going to go to 16, give me a committee and give me, give me everybody's an at-large that's not a conference champion. And then we, at least you have the best 16 in and not just this gratuitous, hey, you happen to be fourth and uh, your conference is a big deal. Ross Dellinger and Dan Wetzel continuing their conversation about the middle of the Big Ten Conference. Punch it's it. better for everybody, the 12-team playoff, except... Oh, same clip, my bad. All right, moving on. Rome Odunze talking about Kalen DeBoer. Did he know he was leaving? Did he get a sign he was leaving? Punch you it. You know, I did not. I didn't. really didn't have any sense. I didn't think... You know, I did not. I didn't really didn't have any sense. I didn't think, you know, or get any inclination from any of the coaches that, you know, that that was what was going to go down. And it kind of took me out of, you know, left field or just like just like everybody else. But, you know, I will say, I mean, when you had the success that the team had, you know, back to back years, you know, um, got to the national championship game, like, 
you know, it, it is a little bit expected that other programs are going to be like, okay, how are they doing that? Okay, let's go get this guy. Let's go get this guy in. With the transfer portal, with the coaching carousel, like, you know, that's college football. And, you know, if, if you're a fan of college football, I think you're going to have to adapt to some of that craziness um, that happens every single year. Because, I mean, it's almost every single year now where something crazy is happening and this coach you'd never expect to leave is leaving. And he is here now. And this player is transferring. It's like, you know, it's part, it's part of the story now and part yeah. of the drama of it all. Look, Junze's a great player, and he's doing what's best for himself. He's, you know, in the NFL draft, he's projected as a high pick, could be a really high first-round pick. But he's pointing something out that we're all seeing, and we're all looking at players, and we're going, players are jumping around, coaches are jumping around. This is insane. It's madness. But I think inside that ecosystem, they've all sort of accepted that that's kind of how it is, and it's a mutually beneficial exchange. I'm okay with that to a certain extent. I don't think it's great for the game, but at least it's fair for players. It's fair for coaches. I did not like a system where players were not allowed to leave a school without giving up eligibility. And, you know, I wish more coaches would stay put. I wish there were more loyalty in college athletics. I wish the buyouts were more prohibitive. But the agents and the coaches have seized control of of that process. EA Sports offering $600 and a free copy of the game to players who appear in their video game, NCAA Football 25. J.D. Pickle talking about it on three sports. Punch it. EA Sports is providing an opt-in program for the players that want to be in the game. Now, here's the deal. They're not, they're not just saying, hey, you want to be in the game? Great. We'll give you a free copy. You get a free copy of the game. You get to be in the game. You get 600 bucks. That's a great deal if you ask me. For a lot of these guys, that NIL and, and their value may not actually be 600 bucks. Like, that's a great thing. That's not me throwing shade, but the way they have to do this or the way they can do this, download an app, fill out a form, and you get to you know fill it out and you're in the game. Now, if you want to opt out, it's your call. I don't love this, and I think it's cheap. 600 bucks feels low for the number of players who could be included. I would rather see a player's pool of the revenue if you opt in. Because I think what's going to happen is you're going to have individual players negotiating deals. You're going to have the game uh, void of players who's like 600 bucks. It's not you know not right for me to be in there. You're going to have other players going, oh, it's the coolest thing ever. I'm a video game player. I'd love to be part of it. $600 is really fair. I just think it creates a lot of problems. And gosh, 600 bucks feels low to me for the amount of money that EA Sports will make on this game. Mike Florio talking about Caleb Williams thinks it's risky. USC's quarterback going to represent himself as an agent we saw lamar jackson do this but caleb williams in a different position i said it yesterday you're going to see agents throwing shade at caleb williams trying to undermine him in the run-up to the draft because he's not represented and i think agents have to be afraid of the precedent that this might start here's mike florio punching we have said this in the past about lamar jackson who's never had an agent think back to 2018 think about all that crap that was being said bill paulian he should play receiver. And when somebody says something misguided like that, the agent gets in touch with that person. And the agent's job at that point is to try to get the person to come around to a different way of thinking and maybe go back and soften the criticism or see it a different way. You think about all the quarterbacks in this draft, the great quarterbacks, the top three, Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels. May and Daniels have agents. And I guarantee you that there will be an effort by those agents to get their clients drafted before Caleb Williams. And 
They might fight fair. They may not fight fair. Quite possibly all's fair in love, war, and how high you get drafted. And I think that hurt Lamar Jackson six years ago. He fell all the way to 32. You need to have somebody. And it doesn't have to be an agent, but it has to be somebody who is plugged in both with the media and with the teams. If Maybe that's a publicist. I don't know. But I, I admire what Caleb Williams is trying to do. And I know, you know look, he's, he's saying, I don't really have a negotiation as a drafted player in the NFL draft. And it has worked out for Lamar Jackson. But I also think uh, it is rife with risk. And the agents aren't going to like it. The other agents are not going to like it. Terry Bradshaw talking about Kenny Pickett. He thinks he should be the Steelers' starting quarterback next season. Do they trade? Do they do they add Justin Fields to the roster? Bradshaw has strong feelings about it. Punch it. I know him well, and he's fiercely competitive. He's he's extreme. He's tough-minded kid. Uh, things don't bother him. Uh, I really like him a lot. Look, I'm gonna say this for the ten thousandth time this year: surround not only Kenny, but any of these young quarterbacks, the kid and uh, with the Bears. Surround them with talent. Uh, why is Purdy successful with the 49ers? Look at all that talent and look at that coach calling plays. And that kid's got the poise. Kenny has the poise. I, I just want my quarterback to be poised. All right? I just want him poised. If he's poised, then his brain's going to be calm. He's going to see the coverages. He's going to be quick with his decision-making. And Pickett has all of that. They're going to beat him up, and they're going to want to trade for Fields in Chicago. And I say that's a huge mistake. Mike Tomlin doesn't need Tom Brady or the second coming of Tom Brady to have the Steelers have some success. That team is not bad. They, but the, he needs better play from the quarterback position. Is Justin Fields an upgrade? I don't know. But I, based on what Fields is doing in Chicago, playing games on social media, unfollowing the Bears, unfollowing the NFL, I have to think that the Bears at some point decide to move in another direction. And I, and I have thought that Mike Tomlin might not be a bad fit for Justin Fields. Is Bradshaw on to something, though, where – Maybe the skills of the quarterback aren't the most important thing because everyone has skills now. Yeah. It's more about the brain and it's more about the surrounding cast. Like, totally. I think, I think back in the day it was like, hey, we need to get the most talented quarterback. You know, I think Aaron Rodgers, I think Patrick Mahomes. Now it still works, obviously, but now I think you can win if you have a smart coordinator, you have a smart game plan, and you surround them with a lot of talent that is out there. The, the quarterback may not be as important as it once was. Is that, is that wrong to say? No, I think there are a couple examples of this, and I think. You know, you look at a guy like Matthew Stafford, you look at a Jared Goff, you look at a Brock Purdy, and, you know, Stafford's got a cannon. But you, the, the 49ers getting to the Super Bowl this year, they got there with the guy who was picked last in the draft. And we've seen teams in recent years move away from picking running backs or paying the free agent running back, putting their emphasis on offensive line, other skill positions, defensive backs, and a serviceable serviceable quarterback and having some success. And the Niners have been able to do that. And I think it, it kind of makes you think if you're a GM. Yes, if you have Patrick Mahomes, go get him. If you have the number one pick and Caleb Williams is there, go get him. But if you're sitting 
with a competent quarterback who you think's smart and he's good, you know, why why pay that guy thirty million dollars if you don't have to? And you you know, you can allocate your money in other positions and you can build a team like San Francisco has with George Kittle, Debo Samuels, a great left tackle in Trent Williams, um, you know, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, and your quarterback, Brock Purdy's making less than a million dollars. It that's not a bad formula. And so yeah, I do think that that exists. That idea exists in a way that maybe it didn't before. And I think the Chiefs, too, have made a lot of teams think about, you know, do we need to go out and have a bell cow running back? You know, you don't. Like, you know, you can invest, as the 49ers have, in a left tackle that is, you know, your, among your highest two, two or three pay, paid players on your roster. You can afford to do that because... You can get away with paying Brock Purdy a rookie salary. It's not a bad formula. Dan Lebetard thinks Nick Saban could save college game day. I got to hear this. Punch it. Uh, I can't believe that he's going to get this ending, uh, that he's going to get also be able to save college game day because Fox, they got Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer's the cheap and dirty Saban. Like, it, there's, there's a quality <laughs> difference there in what you're talking about on exits and ego. Uh, one of the broadcasts is going to have the most credible guy in the world at the center of everything, teaching everybody. Uh, teach, enjoy, maybe McAfee will bring something out of him. I don't know, though. I, I mean, I love what Levertard's suggesting here. I appreciate the enthusiasm he has. But College Game Day had smart people two, three years ago. They laid them off. And they chose and moved in a direction that is, you know, less of a smart show with Pat McAfee at the center of it. So now, you know, maybe this signals a correction, a course correction. But I just hope that that this doesn't the result here isn't Nick Saban like arm wrestling or thumb wrestling Pat McAfee you know on camera you know that I I hope they do let him teach and they do let him flex a little bit as a coach and a teacher coming up our big splash plus Chauncey Billups uh didn't watch the all-star game you know that didn't watch the NBA all-star game why not you'll hear it in his words got a big college basketball night in uh, men's Pac-12 basketball. Tonight it'll be Washington State at Arizona. One versus two in the Pac-12 conference. Uh, Washington State, by the way, Stephen, Washington State's getting 13 points on the road at Arizona. You like the Cougs in 13 or no? It seems like a lot, but it also smells of, uh, hey, we want you to take Washington State here. I'd would, I would, <laughs> I'd lay the points at Arizona, but it does seem like a lot of points because Washington State, I mean, they've been awesome all season long, home and, home and away, but... Um, I think Arizona, John, is one of those sneaky teams when you look at the bracket. If, depending on their uh, road to the Final Four, I think they got a real shot to get there. They look really good at times. I've seen them look bad, though, and they've got a few bad losses. They've played better in the last few weeks, but uh, Washington State has a win over Arizona already. I, can't, I, I think Arizona's going to win this game, but I think Washington State will play them closer than 13, and I, and I, am, I am almost sure that we're going to see Arizona-Washington State for the conference championship in Las Vegas as part of the tournament. Oregon and UCLA are in third and fourth place. Top four teams get a bye in the first round of the men's tournament in Las Vegas. Ducks tonight at Stanford. UCLA home versus USC. UCLA's going to win that game. Oregon has to win on the road at Stanford to stay in there because Colorado is just a game back. Colorado's playing Utah. 
And if Colorado can win there, they'll put some pressure on UCLA and Oregon. Uh, Arizona State is hosting Washington. And uh, the Beavers are on the road at Cal. And it's like you said, big, big for Oregon because Colorado, three games left in the regular season, all home games. And, and yes. the home games for Colorado obviously more important than the road games and much better home team. Oregon's in the three, three spot right now. They can afford to fall to four. They cannot afford to fall to five. And there really are, I think, five teams right now with Arizona, Washington State, Oregon, UCLA, and Colorado who are all you know very close. And I think Oregon, UCLA, Colorado, just, there's not a lot of difference between those teams for me. But I think if Oregon can hold on to a top four, you get a first-round bye. It's a huge advantage. Uh, certainly if you are uh, the number three team in the bracket, you don't end up on the Arizona side. So you can play Washington State instead of Arizona, potentially. To get Isn't to that the, the most important game? thing? If you're another one of those teams besides Washington State Arizona, you want to face Washington State in that semifinal. Yes. You don't want to be four. You want to be three. Be that third-place team. So Oregon at Stanford tonight. Um, and Stanford's not bad. Uh, at Stanford tonight, and uh, road games are tough in that conference. All right, brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger, home of the peanut butter pickle bacon burger and voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Well, college football's leaders aren't just talking about the playoff. They're talking about recruiting. The early signing period in college football expected now to move Earlier in December, ahead of the opening of the transfer portal, it would begin on the Wednesday before the conference title games. They're also looking at adding a summer signing period, and they're also looking at adding a national letter of intent for the transfer portal. Now, you may say leaders in college football in uh, furrow your brow. Um, I am left uh, wondering like what the ultimate motivation is. If you're going to move the signing period before the transfer portal opening, Clearly, they're worried about high school kids who are not being recruited, not getting scholarships, but I don't think that's going to change the thinking of coaches. I have talked to a bundle of college football coaches in the last season and season and a half who have told me, we need to get older. I never heard that before the portal. I used to hear, we need to get longer, we need to get bigger, we need to get faster, we need to get smarter, we need to get more experienced, but I never heard... We need to get older, but that's what coaches are focused on. They're looking into the portal saying, hey, why am I recruiting a high school kid when I can go out and get a junior or a senior that's got some experience, has some maturity? Give me some more of the 24- and 25-year-olds is what I'm hearing from college coaches. But expect to see uh, potential of three signing periods for college football players. Keep an eye on it. I think we need to go down to one. But they're talking about expanding to three. And that is the big splash. Chauncey Billups said he doesn't watch the All-Star game. Blazers coach. I thought it was good. I thought it was cool. I'm not a big fan of any of them little All-Star situations because it's not very competitive. So um, I don't really put too much stock in I just told them just try not to get hurt. I know they weren't going to be playing serious. So, yeah, I didn't even watch the other game. I don't even watch that. I don't even watch that. Not like it was when you played, right? No. Well, you know, I didn't even. There was one All Star game that I really enjoyed. It was my first one because all four of it was four. I had four of my 
three of my teammates. Um, and our coach was coaching it, Flip was coaching it. And like we all checked in at the same time. And we checked in to play serious. And we turned the whole game around. It was, un it was unbelievable. So everybody was playing defense after. So I had so much fun in that game, you know. Um, but otherwise, like, there weren't a lot of people that even took it serious then. Kobe did. Kobe played hard every time, any of our guys. But most of them was just trying to chill. So KG played hard every time. So I never really enjoyed those things. But um, we still made it competitive when we played. And to see it now, I don't, I don't even watch that. There was, a, uh, there was a measure of personal pride that Kobe Bryant brought to the game, right? I mean, he was playing hard, and the other guys were going, well, I got to play hard, otherwise I'm going to get embarrassed. I didn't see any of that in this All-Star game. I saw half-court shots. I saw uh, people trying to dunk who hit the front of the rim. I saw people hit the top of the backboard. That's enough for me. I'm not interested in seeing 400 points in an NBA game. I'm not. How about the advice he gave to Scoot? Just don't get hurt. Like that. That's. Yeah. I don't care about anything. Just do not get hurt in this game because no one cares. Nobody cares. It's not important. Just stay healthy. That's just not. That's not a good overall message that's being sent about your All Star game. I think they need to scrap the game. Just do the three point contest. Do the dunk thing if you have to. Do something else. Do a one on one competition. I'd. I'd like to see the guys play one on one. Do one-on-one, -on -one, offer a prize, um, you know, and, and and there you go. Or put somebody had suggested putting a team of G League players out there against the All-Star team and then say winning team gets 50K per player, losing team gets a coupon for a Chalupa. Let's see how hard you play now. All right, leave it here. Anna and I were at uh, Killer Burger today. Just throwing that out there. And there was a baseball game on the TV inside the Killer Burger. The Dodgers and Padres playing in the first game of the Cactus League. Dodgers were up 8-0 early, went on to win 14-1. Anna made the comment. She's like, where is that happening? And I originally, I was like, oh, it's got to be Florida. And then I didn't realize the teams. And I, I was like, oh, it's in Arizona. It was sunny and beautiful. Sunny and gorgeous. This radio show needs to be live from spring training. We're going to have to settle for being live talking about spring training today. Our next guest is the general manager of the Eugene Emeralds. Four championships in the last six years. Does a lot of work in the community, this franchise, Boys and Girls Club, Children's Miracle Network. Relay for life. The Emeralds, like the Hillsborough Hops, were elevated to high A baseball in 2020. They went from 76 games to 132 games. That means 66 home games. Season starts in April. And uh, up until 2020, PK Park worked out fine in Eugene, hosting uh, two home teams, the Ducks and the M's. But because of the new Major League Baseball facility guidelines and overlapping seasons with the Ducks, the Eugene Emeralds are looking for a new facility. This is a very stressful situation. Here to talk about it, the general manager of the Eugene Emeralds, Alan Benavides, joining us now. Welcome back to the show, Alan. Thanks for making time. Canzano, 
Kanzana, thank you so much for saying my last name correctly. I grew up with a couple of Benavides kids in my high school. And in junior high, because my name is Kanzano, I stood not far from Benavides in the uh, PE line, and we had to line up alphabetically. So you're good. Campos, Benavides, I'm good. It's very rare. Most people, I get Benavides a lot up here. No, no. I, 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 you know what? The, the Benavides kids that I grew up with, they were cross-country runners. And uh, they were good runners. Yeah. Can you can you run a five k? Are you a, are you good for a five k or no? I might live in Eugene, but man, I can't run. I'm a short, fat Nicaraguan. <laughs> so help us out with this emerald situation. Did I set the table right? Like it it feels stressful right now. Man, it is. I was just looking at myself in the mirror a couple hours ago, and I was like, I can't believe how much how many white hairs I have, and it's. Literally, because of this, I literally feel, you, know, you remember Obama when he went in the office and when he got out, all that gray hair? That's what I feel like. Yes. <laughs> so baseball's, baseball's, you know, requirements. We we had Kale Wambacher of the Hops on. He's in the similar predicament where, you know, they're trying to expand and build their facility, get it up to code, so to speak, for baseball's requirements. And are you having to start all the way over? Is that right? You need a brand new stadium, or what's the state of the union? Yeah, brother. Like we've been working at this for three over three years. You know, looking at thirty different sites. You know, PK Wild Beautiful. You know, only has one locker room. We're literally in construction trailers for a third of the season. At the end of the season, we're in tents, like these FEMA-like tents where professional baseball players are housed. Um, it's, it's a terrible situation for us. It's a terrible situation for the Ducks. You know, when we got into this agreement 15 years ago, never dreamt that we would be elevated to high A. But here we are, you know, with this great opportunity for the community to get a new facility that can host not only the M's, but, you know, let's do some high school baseball. Let's do some boxing and MMA and other stuff, right? We just haven't been able to do that stuff at our current facility. When when I go to your website, I get directed to saverms.com, E-M-S for yeah. M's. Um, and so what is the mission for, and what can people do, and especially people listening on Fox Sports Eugene, what can they do to help save the club? You know, we got to keep uh, our elected officials knowing that we, they, they want this to happen, right? You know, we got to email our county commissioners, got to email our house reps, you know, up in the state Senate, our local state senators, our local House of Representatives, that's really important right now. And uh, keeping uh, tabs in, in contact with our commissioners, because ultimately we want to end up at the fairgrounds, which is, you know, pretty dang close to downtown Eugene that needs a lot of revitalization. So it's a really good opportunity. We've been a dynamic partner for the community here for over 70 years. I mean, you know what's funny? I'm a, you were saying this earlier, you know, we're a Giants affiliate, but I'm a diehard Dodger fan, so I was really excited to hear you bring up the game today. But uh, I grew up <laughs> in L.A., and I didn't realize that the Emeralds have been in Eugene longer than the Dodgers have been in Los Angeles. Like, that's a crazy stat to me. I didn't, you know, it's somebody, one of our, our local councilmen said that yesterday on the meeting, and I was like, oh, huh, that's crazy, you know? The 
the you know the the natural reaction from people who are hearing this they're going to say okay giants affiliate major league baseball requirement why don't the giants pay for this stadium why why is this on yeah, you know great, people in eugene yeah it's a great question you know major league baseball and our affiliation with them allows us to have professional baseball players right here in eugene we get to see players like casey schmidt who's just here in 22 and played all of the 23 season with the San Francisco Giants, right? Pat Bailey, who was also with us for two years in 21 and 22, playing in the big leagues. Actually, we had eight players from our 22 team playing in the big leagues in San Francisco. Um, You wouldn't get that if we weren't affiliated with the Giants, and nor could we pay for them. I mean, those signing bonuses, those salaries, their players' union contract, that's all handled by the San Francisco Giants. They take care of all of that, their housing, their meals, their pay, Pension, all that stuff is done through the major league team, and we could not afford that. But in, but in order to have that, we have a relationship with San Francisco and Major League Baseball. We have to provide approved facilities. And the new 2020 facility requirements just aren't met here in Eugene at PK Park. While a beautiful facility, it, it lacks a lot, a lot of requirements that we need to be compliant with the team. And so the Giants pay for the players. We got to pay for the facility. Now, you know, it is expensive, man. Like, just to do this today, it is expensive. Construction costs are through the roof. We're not asking for all of it. We're trying to put in as much as we can, and our ownership group's putting in $23.5 million towards the project. Um, but we need help from our local city and the county and the state to help to, to make this uh, a reality. Or what are we talking about? Are we talking, you know, I think the hops were talking about, at, you know, $90 million, $100 million. What, what is it? What's your estimate right now? Yeah, our stadium uh, design, we've brought it down as much as we can. It's $90.4 million. Um, it, you know, we were hoping that it'd be like $50 million when we started talking about this um, four years ago, three and a half years ago. But just through the pandemic and what, you know, labor shortages and supply chain issues and blah, 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 like, Costs have come up. They've come down a little bit, and they've stabilized. And interest rates have come down a tick. But it is so expensive to build right now, and it's just what it is. Like, I wish it was less, but it's, it's you know, there are, there are communities throughout the country that are, doing, that are dealing with this. It's not just Eugene. It's just not Hillsborough. It's Everett. It's Visalia. It's, it's a ton of places. But, you know, we're seeing communities across the country come together to take advantages of these opportunities to – to develop in depressed areas for, you know, you know, economic development uh, with housing and, and other things that, that are helping communities uh, be vibrant, right? Because I believe that the team reflects uh, a certain cultural aspect that sports teams provide to communities, right? A bit of vibrancy and affordable entertainment that everybody gets to enjoy. You know, our tickets average 12 bucks, you know, do dollar hot dogs, thirsty Thursdays. It's, it's a family atmosphere, you know, and that's and that's what my, that's what I love about minor league baseball. It's just the the fun local flavor that you get in minor league baseball. You can't get in any other professional sport. Alan Benavides is the general manager of the Eugene Emeralds, single A affiliate of the San Francisco Giants, my favorite team. Uh, sorry, Alan. Um, let me ask no, you this. No, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> let me ask. All right, let me ask you this. Lane County. Uh, city yeah. of Eugene, um, you know, this. Uh, people will ask, like, is this going to raise property taxes? This does not include an increase in property tax, right? 
So the bond that the city is going to have to put out will. So it's a small bond. I know it's a lot of money. It's $15 million that the city of Eugene. It's only the city of Eugene, not Lane County. The city of Eugene is looking at a bond, property bond, which would be about 8 to $0.11. Cents. Uh, $0.11 cents on a 10-year bond, bringing the average property owner up 20 bucks a year, roughly. So, yeah. you know, Kanzano, uh, if you know you, yeah. if you lived in Eugene, I'm sure your property tax would go up 80 bucks. But um, <laughs> for the average Eugene, yeah. it'd be I, 20 bucks. But I think the economic impact of this, I mean, I think about the player salaries. You know, yesterday on the show, we were talking with a tax expert. He was talking about the jock tax and the players who are going to play for the team are going to generate tax revenue for the city and for the county and for the state that it wouldn't otherwise have. And so you've got taxes that are going to be paid by visiting players, by the home players. You've got a business that is going to generate jobs. You've got, I think, that yeah, 20 it, bucks. You're going to get a return on that 20 bucks. You not only get a return, but we're talking at the new facility operating around. We're talking about over 300 jobs. We're talking about over probably four to half to five million dollars in local vendors that we're using and supplies to 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 make the just team run, you know, over fifteen thousand hotel rooms. I mean, it's an economic driver in our community for sure. But at the end of the day too, it's just this historic generational venue and team and experience that Oregonians have experienced since nineteen fifty five. And we want to ensure that continues through twenty fifty five, you know? So the site you have located is—is is it the fairgrounds? Is that right? The the Lane Events Center at the fairgrounds. Yeah, it's at the fairgrounds. It's about a mile away east of, uh, or excuse me, it's about a mile west of downtown Eugene. And uh, the fairgrounds are a wonderful location. They're right in the middle of town, surrounded by a beautiful neighborhood. Uh, you know, the Emeralds historically were playing in Civic Stadium in South Eugene in another neighborhood. Um, that and that and that neighborhood was really upset when we left, um, and we would love to get back in the community into a neighborhood where this team belongs. Um, and so we're excited about that opportunity to be at a fairground and hopefully be the catalyst for modernizing our aging fairgrounds. Do you uh, anticipate pushback from the people who say, "Hey, this is going to change the fairgrounds," or does this become sort of a, an asset to the fairgrounds? So you mentioned events that you could hold at the stadium. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's a lot of um, angst around what does this mean? Traffic, noise, lights. All these things are things that we can address with LED lights. We can work with the neighborhood on, like, when we can host the games, what time the games need to be over, have an egress and ingress plan with the police department. I mean, we can do this. It happened at Mass United Arena in downtown in the neighborhood, and they and it works out beautifully. We can do this with the proper communication um, we can really revitalize what is an event center, right? It's designated for events. And we really want to be an advocate for that neighborhood, for downtown. We really want to be part of the solution to get people back in downtown, stopping, going to restaurants, going to a bar, having a vibrant downtown at our core, in the core of our city is instrumental to the vibrancy of our community. And we're really excited to be, hopefully be a part of that solution to make Eugene and make it continue to be a great place to live. All right. We're talking to Alan Benavides, general manager of the Eugene Emeralds. Alan, um, worst case scenario, you don't get it done. What yeah. happens? What happens to this team, this franchise, and, and baseball fans in Eugene? 
if it doesn't happen, I can't speak on behalf of Major League Baseball, but I will tell you that they'll start looking at other markets. Um, I'll give you an example. City of Ontario raised their sales tax a percentage point uh, last year to build a brand new minor league stadium. They don't have a team. <laughs> they don't have a minor league baseball team. And they're doing that because they know that teams are going to be looking for places. And I think we have a, a really great opportunity to take our situation and build something great that will develop and do some great economic things for our community. But if we don't do it, Major League Baseball will look for another market, whether that's in the state of Washington, Idaho, California. Um, but, I mean, Hillsborough's in a very similar situation as we are, and um, it's just it'll stop to exist. Professional baseball won't exist here if we can't get this done, and that's just the truth. Yeah, and I know that, and that you know, there's... And, and, and if that yeah. means, and if that means, you know, and really quick, people go, well, what does that mean next year? It, you know, we'll probably play here this year. I mean, we're going to play here this year. We'll probably play here next year. But beyond that, I don't know, brother. I really don't know. Yeah, and I, I have to wonder how many cities are going through the same thing. Because now it's Hillsborough, it's Eugene. You talk to other GMs in minor league baseball. Is this playing out over and over, you know, 50 times across the country? I would say it's probably, now this is just an educated guess, but I would say it's probably about 10 to 12 teams out of the 120 that are, that are struggling this bad. You know, we're on, we're on the extreme edge, no doubt. But I would say other facilities and other communities have figured it out. Knoxville, building a beautiful facility. Wilson, North Carolina beautiful facility, all brand new announcements that are, you know, using whether they're using a bed tax or an increase in sales tax and, and also private funding from the team. They're figuring out a way to, to develop these things for the community and for the team. And, um, and I'm hoping we can do that here, but you know, in Oregon, it's tough. It's tough. I mean, we have lack of revenues. We don't have any sales tax. Um, and so, you know, the property tax thing, it is a local Eugene thing. It's a, it was a route we weren't hoping we'd have to go, but, we're happy that it's only $15 million. I know that's a lot of money, but when you're looking at about 8 or $0.11 cents per thousand of assessed value and roughly an average of 20 bucks, you know, per person, it's, yeah, it's you know, 20 bucks, 20 bucks. But um, I think what you get for it in this community where we could host an amazing graduation experience for our local high school, possibly mm-hmm. host OSAA, 4A, 5A, 6A baseball championships, a JUCO yep. baseball tournament, like, those are all the things that we want to do here, right? And so, you know, and, and I'll say this last really quick. Like, in our community, we have beautiful facilities, gorgeous facilities. You know, Matthew Knight Arena, Hayward Field, you know, James Sanders, PK Park. All those facilities belong to the University of Oregon. The city itself, we don't have a lot of facilities that are ours that were just built. You know, the Holt Center was one of the last things we built for the community. It was in the early 80s. Recently, the, the, we have a new Y that people are just clamoring over. Kids Sports, another uh, nonprofit group that we helped fundraise for as well years ago, opened up to to great you know uh, love as well. Um, but we're hoping that we can do this um, and have hopefully an opening April 26. That would be my goal. That seems a little tight, but um, that that's that's the dream, man. You got a dream, right? You do. And Alan, let me. Ask you, make an appeal for people who want to help out. Is it is it as simple as going to SaveRMs.com, or where do you want them to go? Look, go to SaveRMs.com, email me, alangm at emeraldbaseball.com. 
We are going to be taking volunteers. We need people to put yard signs up in their house. We need them to canvas. We need them to talk. We need them to, because, because you know, there's a lot of folks. A lot. Of, let's be honest. You go to Reddit, Eugene. It is just a cesspool of hatred. You know, we need people to be there, like, to talk about why this is important, why this is a positive thing. Um, all, there's so much negativity out there. This is a positive thing for our community. Uh, we believe that it's going to be fundamentally one of those things that we're going to look back at and say, this moment was one of the reasons Eugene turned for the better. You know, we're not going to be the reason, but it'll be one of them, you know, because it will be a trans, it, it will be a transformative project for downtown in our city. Alan Benavides, I wish you the best. Let us know how we can help. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks, Zavato. There he goes. Saveourms.com. Our. Saveourms.com. Not our. Um, check it out. I mean, the Hillsborough Hops got a nice boost when the county decided to kick in $8 million bucks towards their plight. But... Um, Really hoping that uh, people in Eugene who are listening to this program will go to that website. You can write to your local law uh, politicians in uh, your local uh, – I was going to say law enforcement. No, don't write your law enforcement on this one. Um, you can write to your local politicians, your community leaders, and uh, you can uh, – the there is the uh, GM himself saying, hey, get involved, reach out. He's looking for people willing to bang the drum. Anna's going to pop into the studio. Five at five coming up. Kelly Graves, Oregon women's basketball coach. Has he forgotten how to coach? Suddenly, Oregon's program, I'm just joking, Oregon's program not uh, not winning. What's wrong? Kelly Graves going to join us in the five o'clock hour and talk about it. Leave it here. Anna is in the studio, and she was on a field trip today with our seven-year-old. What's that like to ride the bus with a seven you're old. It's loud. It's really loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. After yeah. after the field trip, you a have a deep appreciation for what teachers put up with on a daily basis, and uh, b there is no b. That's it. That you just walk away going, I could never be a teacher. Where where did you guys go? We went to field? the Lansu Chinese Classical Garden mm. in uh, downtown. Portland. Is it kind of cliche that you went on this field trip? <laughs> Did you get invited, or did you raise your hand like the kid in the front row in class? You were that kid, weren't you? Uh, were you that annoying kid that just like had every answer in every class? Up until up until college, really yeah, I was. Yeah. And then in college, you forgot everything, or you? I just... wasn't. I wasn't the smartest kid. I was never the smartest kid. I was just the hardest working kid. One time, uh, for listeners, we pulled out our transcripts. We pulled out Anna's college transcript. And I pulled. I started to pull out my transcripts, and I was kind of a transfer portal kid. I had gone to a community <laughs> college, then a four year, then went back to a community college, yeah. then a back to a four year. <laughs> so I had like, I had like a bunch of papers stapled together, and I had like these two clean sheets with all her grades on it. And uh, I looked over at Anna's grades, and then I just took my papers and folded them up and put them back in the file cabinet. I could not believe. Your grades were so good. And I thought, I wasn't that kid. I was. I did not raise my hand. I sat in the back. I was listening, but I was... You didn't need to raise your hand. I you was figured it out anyway. I was trying not to get called on. Yeah. No well. eye contact. No eye, there's never been anything more. And when the teachers go, well, let me call on, uh, you know, who read the, uh, who read the uh, last Shakespeare... Uh, 
<laughs> the last act we were supposed to read in an English lit major here. Yeah. Um, and uh, looking around the classroom, I'm looking at the your floor. Shoelace, your shoelaces got real I'm interesting, huh? Looking over at the wall. Yeah. Don't call on me. I hope he doesn't know my name. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get to the... Yeah. So is it the Chinese gardens or is. the Asian gardens or is it the Japanese no, gardens? No, no, no. It's the, it's the Chinese garden. The Japanese garden is a whole different garden. And uh, do you think people know that, or do you think there's know. some people who are just like, "Ah, eh, it's just the Asian gardens." There, there might be confusion over it, but that's okay. It's like when you and I are watching a movie, and yeah. like, like it'll be like Korean uh-huh. or Vietnamese. Vietnamese, and I'll be like, "What do they say?" What are they say, I, "I can't help it." And you yeah. go, "I don't know. I don't speak Korean. I speak Mandarin." Super <laughs> sorry. Charming. Well, I mean, I, if you don't naturally speak those languages, if you're not really paying attention, now I can do it. I've been yeah. married to you long enough where I can. De- like if somebody, if I'm in public and I'm not with you, mm-hmm. and somebody's speaking Mandarin, mm-hmm. I recognize it. Yeah, I didn't used to. Mm-hmm. It. I'm gonna be honest. It's gonna sound ignorant. It all sounded the same to me. Sure, I get it. And I also gonna be honest. I'm gonna see. This is gonna be the bald faced truth. Yes. I used to see Asian people. Yeah. And I couldn't quite determine what kind of Asian they were. Yeah. Right. Now I can. Yeah. I can look at somebody and go. Oh, Taiwanese. Well, because it's hard. Because most Asian people, unless they've like dyed their hair or something, they have brown hair, brown eyes, and similar complexion. But so yeah. to me, it's like, of course, like when people say, "Oh, all Asians look alike," like they kind of do. So yeah. I don't know what the fuss is over I, that. I don't think so. <laughs> the more that I've been with you, the less. I see that. Yeah, but your eye has to be trained yeah, to the nuances. Yeah, I have a trained eye. You have a trained um, eye. But here's, you know, the other thing is, like, if we'll be in line at, like, a movie theater, and the person in front of us starts to speak Mandarin or something, I kind of elbow you, <laughs> like, hey, like, you know, they speak Mandarin. Yeah. You speak Mandarin. Like, you know, it would be like the equivalent of you going, oh, you like sports? <laughs> you know, he likes sports. Talk to each other. Be I, friends. Have you know? I not done that? You know I, mean? I actually have yeah. done that to you. Oh, look at him. In social oh, yeah, this guy. Hey. It's funny. You always introduce, like, your friends, significant others to me. Yes. And you'll be like, oh, they like football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, like, who cares? He's a 49ers fan. All right. That's cool. Yeah. Talk amongst yourselves. There you go. Um, yeah, so, no, if you've ever gone to a really serene and peaceful setting like the classical Chinese garden yeah. with the instruction of, you know, letting everyone else enjoy that tranquility, uh, but then you have 30 second graders with you that are bouncing off the walls, uh, you can imagine how uh, how challenging that might be. Yeah. yeah. So how did that go? Well, it was great. That's what great. did you learn there? What did you see? I learned that... And, uh, and, wait, before, I, before you answer that... Mm. Is it not located in kind of a bad area of Portland? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's uh, there's uh, there's homeless tents up, uh, and there's a soup line around the corner, and you know, yeah, there's. there's so, did you struggling. feel safe? Did your kids feel safe? Yeah, or, they felt safe. You know, they felt safe. Yeah, but it is it's interesting because a... it's been a number of years since I've been to that garden. They have added a locked security gate at the entrance. Mm, okay. So. So that's helped. Yeah. They probably had some situations. They now go on. Did. Go on. Don't let me spoil. Go. What happened? No, I don't know. It's What'd you learn just, there? Uh, I learned there's a lot of uh, ponds that uh, energetic second graders could dunk themselves into as they're trying to look for koi fish. You know, I learned that. But why go there? What, what was the purpose? They are really into celebrating Chinese New Year at our kids' school. Really? So this is all part of that. Good big celebration. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. gotten into that. 
being married to you. Have you? Yeah. Okay. I didn't used to celebrate like that. Yeah. And you get you you tend to celebrate the Lunar New Year. Right. You know. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, did you celebrate the Lunar New Year? Uh no, did not. Yeah. No. See. See. Wait. The funny thing is, I did not grow up celebrating it. I didn't. Well, you got about this. My, yeah. We were like we were too busy trying to survive, and it seems superfluous <laughs> to, to us. Like to no really, like yes, I was born in Taiwan. Yes, I am of you know. Chinese descent, Taiwanese descent, but like my parents, we didn't celebrate it. Um, can you help us understand the red envelope? Because this was a bit of a surprise to me when you had relatives visit. Yeah. And suddenly these red envelopes are coming out. Yeah. And I have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And then I was trained very quickly, like there's going to be an exchange here. If they have children, yeah. we better get some red envelopes and stuff some cash into it. That's right. There was serious money being thrown around yeah, in these were, red envelopes. There were Benjamins being handed yes. to like five-year-olds. Yes. Yeah. And the, the kids don't know. And well, they, I mean, they figured it out pretty quick. Help me understand, what is the red envelope for? Is it good luck? Is it prosperity? Well, is red, it... Yeah, red's a good, good, you know, fortunate, fortunate color in that culture and then uh you know the chinese culture is uh, a lot about making money and prosperity like they're really into it like literally their version of saying happy new year is the equivalent of hope you make a lot of money in the new How year say you it. Know, How... like like good luck make lots of money that's, that's I'm gonna start saying say that. Happy New Year I'm to gonna, each other. I'm gonna start saying that when I meet people. Good luck makes lots of money. Well, and again, like in Chinese culture, the number eight is really popular. Eight is considered lucky. Why? Because in Mandarin, you say fa, you say ba, which is eight, which rhymes with fa, which means to make money. So everything comes back to making money. So ba is eight, fa is wealth or money. Right. Yeah. So yeah. like you'll notice like. A lot of, you know, Chinese people will try to have like eights in their license plates and phone numbers and, you know, house numbers. And I and have noticed that, that. Sort of thing. I've noticed like if, you know, if you have a realtor, you'll see a realtor who's Asian and their cell phone numbers on the listing mm -hmm. and it will be like eight, 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 you yep. know, whatever. Yep. What, so what's a bad number? Four. Why? Four. In Mandarin, you say it's si, which sounds like si, which means to die. Oh, okay. So they they like to avoid the number four. I wonder if you see that with like Chinese basketball players, hmm, like yeah. that, that you know, would they want to be number eighty-eight? Yeah. Nicholas Batum was eighty-eight, mm -hmm. if I uh, remember correctly. Yeah. And and then you wouldn't want to be forty-four. Like no. Reggie Jackson, you no. Want to have four at all? No. Get no. away. Mm -hmm. Like you'd want an eight in your number. Yeah. Interesting to think about. It's a really superstitious culture. It's just interesting. Okay, but I still don't understand why I didn't get a red envelope. Because you're, you're not a kid. But so it's mostly for a kid. Your relatives show up, they start handing out red envelopes to yeah. our children right. with hundred dollar bills in them. Yeah. And then I'm expected I didn't know this. Yeah. But you know, huddled up with you and you were like, Hey, we got some empty red envelopes. Mm -hmm. You need to be putting hundred dollar bills in there for their children. <laughs> So I'm like taking the hundies out of our kids' red envelopes. You did not putting them in. No, I didn't. But <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it. But I. But it just seemed kind of very ceremonial. Yeah. Like yeah. you know what I mean. Uh -huh. Like it was a very much. It was very showy. Yeah. Can I say that? Right, let me make a big demonstration of giving you this red envelope gift. It yeah. seems transactional. It is very transactional. Yeah. It but was that's... nil before nil. <laughs> they were doing this. 
but it's it really is in place of birthday presents, New Year presents. So you don't get a birthday present. No, it's it's a red envelope. There's a simplicity to it that is, you know, I can appreciate. Maybe that. we should just do go to that scenario with yeah, our kids. Right. No Christmas gifts, no birthday <laughs> gifts. We'll give you a red envelope in uh, mid-February or so. Is that good? Does that work for you? Yeah. You can buy your own. (laughs) Go ahead and spend it on your own. Uh, I'm very interested in all of this stuff. I don't know if you can tell. Yeah. You know, and then uh, it, I, because that makes sense because the Beijing Olympics in 2008 started on Mm 8-8-0-8. That was intentional. I know. It's kind of wacky, like how into the numbers they are. Very interesting. I, I'm going to have to learn. And the other thing, here's another thing that, you know, us uh, non-Asians suffer from when we go into a Asian dining establishment. Oh, getting forked? We get forked. And at least they ask me now. Yeah. Because they've seen me a few times. Uh-huh. And I have a bit of, I have a bit of pride. I'm good with pair of chopsticks. Yeah. I am. Uh-huh. Like I've, you know, I'm, I've, I'm adaptable. You've learned the way. But I sometimes I do prefer a fork. Well, yeah, me too. And I will say when they ask me, chopsticks or a fork, and they kind of look at you and they're, they're kind of sizing you up, <laughs> kind of looking at you like, you know, let's see if this guy can, you know, what's his forty time, you know, I don't know. <laughs> they're just kind of looking at me. But I will say both. Yeah. Even if I don't want the chopsticks, I'll say both. I'll never say just give me the fork. My favorite is in, when we go to an Asian restaurant and they hand you a fork and hand me chopsticks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like... I kind of think it's racist. Uh, it's just it's. Profiling. I think it's racist. It's how do profiling. they? How do they know I didn't grow up in Taiwan? Yeah. You know. Yeah. They're just looking at me. Uh-huh. It's literally the definition of racism. Yeah. Right. They're looking at me and they're going, "Nope, oh, buddy, he needs a fork." Yep. You know, and they're right, but uh, but <laughs> yeah, I'm also right. I'm just saying, <laughs> I prefer to have the option in that situation, the polite option to do that. Uh, it's better than when we go to a restaurant and they look at you and you're beautiful. You know, as you are today. Look at you, all dressed up today. Stop. For people who don't know, she's in this flowing black long sleeve dress. Hair's all done. Because why? Because she went to the Chinese gardens. <laughs> so she's. you look like a goddess. And so oh, wow. we Jeez. go into like a restaurant that Jeez. doesn't have like a clear, like there's some ambiguity in certain restaurant settings. Like a sushi restaurant has ambiguity. Okay. Like they have a bunch of you know, stools. Okay. And, a, you know, th- sometimes it can be unclear who's together. Oh, like, who's who's like with who? Chipotle has the same ambiguity. Right. You're in a line and the cashier's got to make a, de- a judgment decision. Do these two people belong together? <laughs> and they kind of eyeball you, they eyeball me, and sometimes they'll go, is this together? And I'll be like, you're literally telling me that we don't belong together. Now, it could be a race thing. Could be that, like, if you're standing next to an Asian family, yeah, that's they happened. just kind of make a judgment. Yeah, they, they go lump us together. Yeah, yeah she's with them. Uh-huh. But other times, I just kind of think they look at me and they go, no way. Oh, stop. No way, this guy. <laughs> and then they, but they don't know how charming I am. So that's, that's part of it. All right, leave it here. We're going to talk some sports next. I appreciate everybody who listens to this show via podcast. If you are jogging on the treadmill right now, listening to the podcast, or you're on a drive... Or like Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner, said the other day, he uh, happens to listen to the podcast while he's, uh, you know, bebopping around. Uh, I appreciate that you listen to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to it. Uh, our production team, Zach, 
Adriana, Lauren, Robert, uh, all of the engineers and the producers working on the team here. I want to thank you for all your work on it. Um, you know, you turn them around in real time and package them up, and I uh, appreciate those of you who subscribe to it and consume it and share it with friends. You hear something you like on the show, do not be shy about sharing it. I want to pivot a little bit here. We got the 5 at 5 coming up top of the hour. But, uh, you know, I want to pivot a little bit to the NBA. I asked Stephen a question the other day off air. I asked him who's going to win the NBA championship. Normally about the All-Star break, you kind of get a clear line between these teams are serious contenders and these teams are not. So, Stephen, we're going to play a little game here. And then we're going to add a little bit of chocolate fudge sauce on the top of this game. But I'm going to ask you, contender or pretender? All right? That's the name of the game. All right. E- good. We're starting in the Eastern Conference. Boston Celtics, we're going to start easy. Contender or pretender? Contender. Easy contender. They've been the best team all season in the Eastern Conference, and they've been there before. So, uh, yeah, easy contender for Boston. Cleveland. Pretender. I'm not. I'm not ready yet to uh, say. Really? Yeah, I'm not ready to say that Cleveland can get to that next level. Nine out of the last ten. They've been really good, and Donovan Mitchell is a really good player. I'm just. Uh, I need to see it in the in the postseason level. I don't trust their coach, um, Bickerstaff, and I, I think it, it could cause some problems in the postseason. Second place in the East. They're a pretender. How about the Milwaukee Bucks? Third place. Contender, just because they have to be. It's a it's a win or nothing. It's championship or bust for them with Dame and Giannis. So I I think I have to consider them a contender because when you have two of the best players in the NBA on your team like that, you can win any night. But uh, I, again, I don't trust their coach and Doc Rivers. So, uh, but I would say contender for sure. Knicks, Sixers, Pacers, Heat. Anybody in there a contender? If Phil if Joel Embiid comes back healthy, Philadelphia definitely a contender. Um, after what Miami did last season, there's no way I can't say they're not a contender. Okay. Um, I, I just I trust Derek Spolster so much, and I trust that organization. Jimmy Butler is one of the best postseason players like in history. So they're just going to flip the switch? They, That's did, what, they yeah. did last year, and, and it shocked me last season when they did it. Um, so I think those two are. I I want to put the Knicks as a contender, but I, I'm not going to. They're really close. I think they need one more piece, and they're right there. All right, so right now we have Boston, Milwaukee kind of. Philadelphia, maybe, if with Embiid healthy. Miami, if they can flip the switch. Yes. That's the East. In the Western Conference, we've got a different picture. Minnesota, contender? I think so. I think yes. Uh, it may be a little shocking because they're still a young team, but uh, Chris Finch, really good coach. Anthony Edwards, I think he has to take that next level to get to, like, super-duper stardom, but he is an awesome player. Then Rudy Gobert, defensive player of the year, probably. And then Carlton Towns, really good score. I, I think this team... I like basically every single player on that team that they actually play. So I think Minnesota is really good. I think they are a contender. It's funny how when you draft good young talent and you just stay with it, how that blossoms when yeah, it, when done right. It is weird. It's weird when you get good players that you're good. Amazing. Uh, Oklahoma City. Nah, I'm going to say pretender. I'm not. They're too young. Historically in the NBA, young teams like this, this young. And the Thunder are the third youngest team, I believe, in the NBA, maybe second youngest team in the NBA. They just struggle in the playoffs because it's a different ball game, and so for that reason, maybe next season they're a contender, but not this year. Pretender, Clippers, a definite contender. Uh, I think that they are the best team in the Western Conference. They just got wow. shellacked by Minnesota right before the All Star break, but 
I think the addition of James Harden has worked out really well, shockingly. Like, he has been really good since he's gone to L.A., and Russell Westbrook has really accepted the role coming off the bench. And then Kawhi Leonard, he's done it on the highest level. And then Paul George, he, he's one of the best two-way guys in all of the NBA. They, they are really deep. They got bigs. They got, you know, guys that play defense. They got guys that can shoot. Ty Lue. You like their coach? Ty Lue, good coach. Yeah, uh, yeah I, think, I think the Clippers have it all. Nuggets. Yeah, 100%. I think the Nuggets are contenders, but I don't think they're as good as they were last season. They, they lost Bruce Brown, who was awesome in that playoff run. They haven't really filled his role yet with anybody, and they don't have anybody on the team that can really fill yeah. that role. So Jokic is the best player in all of the NBA, so I, they're going to be contenders, but I don't think they're as good as last season. They kind of faded into the break, too. Uh, the Suns, Phoenix Suns. Yeah, and this kind of goes with my Milwaukee Bucks thing, like, when you have Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal and Devin Booker on your team, you can beat anybody on any given night. And so a seven-game series, that's going to be tough to beat. Um, I do like Frank Vogel as a coach. I think he's a good coach as well. But I, I don't necessarily trust him, but they are contenders because of this, the superstar talent that they have. All right, Pelicans, Mavericks, Kings, Lakers, Warriors. Um, anybody in there that you think could win it? No, none of them. None of them could win it? No. I think the closest out of those teams would be the Pelicans, but uh, nobody else. So you're picking four in each conference. Yeah. Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Miami in the east. And you're saying in the west it's Minnesota, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Suns. Um, did I leave somebody out? Um, and that's you know, that's four. Yeah. So the eight teams there. Um, Shams Sharnia talked about the Bucks. This is what he had to say. Make no mistake. The Milwaukee Bucks this year, the only thing they're playing for and thinking about is winning a championship. This season is very much title or bust in Milwaukee. does not matter what anyone says. doesn't matter about excuses, not excuses, whatever. Anytime you have Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo and you fire your coach and you hire Doc Rivers, who's won a championship before, obviously among the top uh, 10 in wins of all time in NBA history, was voted as a top 10 coach of all time. And these ingredients are not made for a team that is going to accept or want to be bounced in the second round of conference finals. It doesn't matter the scenario. Yeah, I get it. Like, they're all in. They've gone for it. They've traded for Damian Lillard. They fired their coach early in the season. They brought in Doc Rivers. But I, what he's saying and what he's getting at, and I and it, I can't help but think, remember last, at the end of last season when the reporter asked Giannis, you know, is this a failure? And Giannis was like, no, there's more to play for than just a championship. We're not a failure. And he got a lot of empathy for that. The Bucks have sort of painted themselves into a corner this season that if they end the year and they don't win the East, let's just say they don't win the Eastern Conference, um, that people are going to look at them and go, you know, that didn't work. Blow it up. Or that didn't work. Change it. If you're looking at the Bucks right now, Stephen, what is the one move they need to make or the one piece they don't have that could help – you know, separate them from that group that we talked about in the East. I think for me, it's number one is coaching. I, I think that they, you know, maybe if they had Mike Budenholzer back, maybe that would be the answer. Like maybe they shouldn't have fired him. Um, I don't think they should have. I, they probably shouldn't have now, you know, hindsight being 2020 with Adrian Griffin and now Doc Rivers being the coach. I think they'd much rather have Budenholzer. I think that's their biggest problem is just their coaching because defensively they were a top five team the last couple seasons. Uh, under Budenholzer, and they've gone completely away from that, and they've tried different things, and it hasn't worked out. So I think that's the number one thing on the court. They just need another. They need another guy that can shoot the basketball. Malik Beasley's been really good, but uh, he actually, I think, he leads the NBA in three point percentage. But he's not. He's not the guy. Like he's not the guy that's going to do that when they, when they need it. And so 
Um, I think they do need another shooter on that team, but I think it's I think it's all coaching with the Milwaukee Bucks. Like they have a lot of talent on that team, and the thing about Milwaukee, John, is I I think it's very important that they have a good postseason run because if they don't, there's already there, there's little rumblings out there uh, mm-hmm. with Giannis not being happy. Dame has never really been like, yeah, it's super awesome here in Milwaukee. Like he is, <laughs> he's but hasn't he benefited from being in the East? Like I think his whole All Star rise. Would not have happened if he was in the West. Hundred percent, yeah, because he never would have started. He, like that's the thing in the Western Conference, he was never good enough to start on the Western Conference All Stars. No, like it's no dig at Dame, but the West has better players and they're better than Damian Lillard. So in the East, yeah, he goes in and he may be the best guard in that conference. So I think it really does. And then the All Star game is perfect for him because he's not going to play defense anyways. He just wants to shoot from really far <laughs> out. So it fits him perfectly. So I mean. I think this Bucks team, this Bucks team, is fascinating going into the playoffs, though, because if it does not work out in the postseason, like, would it shock you, John, if if Dame's like, I don't, I never wanted to come here anyways, like, yeah, no, it wouldn't shock me. And then Giannis has talked about like everything has changed this year. The coach, the roster, ownership has all changed, and it's like the first time in his career that he's really facing this adversity. It wouldn't surprise me if, if some stuff got shaken up if Milwaukee uh, flames out, and and that's not uh, out of the possibilities because I don't trust Doc Rivers at all. I am looking into the West, and the Warriors have a ton of talent and Steve Kerr, and they've got a lot of guys who have won a lot, and they're currently sitting just above the line uh, in the play-in tournament if it started today. And I'm looking at that team, and I'm going, they're not a win, they're not a championship contender. But what are the Warriors going to do here with all of these guys that are aging and Draymond, and what is their move? They got to figure out if Clay is having a bad season or if he's watched. He he's been bad pretty much all year. He's had a nice little revelation for the All Star break coming off the bench. But I think you got to figure out are, is Draymond Green and Clay kind of done? And if they are, you need to pivot off of them somehow. And I think that's going to be really hard. You also need to pivot off of Andrew Wiggins, who has you know he's had some personal problems, but he's been bad ever since the NBA Finals run. So there there's three veterans on this team that get paid a lot of money that are not producing what they should be producing. And Steph is still good. Like he's still a really good player, still an elite player. So you can still build around Steph, but you got to get some players around him that, that are making that type of money that actually are producing on the court. Yeah. And I think uh, it'll, it's gonna, it'll always be panic and there's only going to be one winner. And I just find that there's a little bit of irony wrapped in the Milwaukee Bucks outcome because it was Giannis at the end of last season where it was April where you know, he was asked, was this season a failure? And he makes this great point about, you know, it's not a failure. You know, there's only one team that can win. And why why are, is the culture of the NBA so much about just the championship or it's a bust? But, in like, in reality, everything that the Bucks did to get Damian Lillard at, and, you know, had no patience with their coach, everything they did is screaming, win now, win now. And that in the wake of Giannis saying, you know, there's more to it than just one team winning. I just think that's fascinating, and I will not be surprised if that thing implodes and and does so, uh, you know, gloriously. I, I think Boston is such a good team, and you're right about the teams like Miami and some others in the uh, East that could be dangerous. The 5 at 5 with Anna is coming up. She's ready. 5 o'clock hour is the happy hour. Kelly Graves will be along, Oregon women's basketball coach. They are having a terrible season by his standards. This guy who took Oregon to the Final Four probably would have won a national championship just a few years ago. Struggling this season. He's got job security, but uh, how is he doing 
And how fast can he turn it around at Oregon? Kelly Graves coming up. Make an appointment. He'll be with us at about 5.20, 5.22, right in there. Also talk about Matt Barnes, who lost his gig as a broadcaster in Sacramento. He was doing the pre and the post game on the Sacramento Kings broadcasts. Barnes was at a high school basketball event, and he became one of those parents who became the focal point, screaming and shouting at the officials, put his hand on the PA announcer was a high school kid and uh, was uh, basically uh, flipped off and told to get off the side of the court by fans on the opposing team. And Sacramento Kings have uh, subsequently removed him from their television broadcasts. He went on the Dan Lebitard show a couple days ago and he uh, justified or defended himself, justified his actions. I think it begs another look at youth sports parents. Because I think if you listen to Matt Barnes, and I'm going to play his audio, you're going to hear how wrong he is. And if you're one of those parents, I just don't know how you can't see it if you're listening to Matt Barnes. So stick around for that. That's coming up later in the program. We're going to do the 5 at 5. Anna's here. She's ready. She's locked in. I can't wait to see what's in this. The 5 at 5. Number one. Well, it's official. Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet are confirming that they will have roles in the EA Sports College football video game that's set to be released. Uh, They'll be featured as play-by-play announcers in the video game. There's just more and more talk about this. I think this is actually going to happen. I think there's a lot of people initially that were skeptical but this is going to become a real thing. So the players that participate are going to get 600 bucks and a copy of the game. And uh, it's a lot of contracts is that, enough? that have to be signed. Is that enough in mm. your mind? I don't, like... When I heard that, I thought cheap. I, I thought so, too. But then it's like, you know, 10,000 players, I think. Nah, just I think the game's going to make millions of dollars. Yeah. And 600 bucks feels a little bit... Uh, it's a little light, as Tony Soprano would say. But, but John, if you're a you know a, a bright guard on Buffalo, like six hundred bucks for being in a video game, like you're not getting that nal anywhere else. That's fine. Like Caleb Williams gonna sign up? Then don't you know? Don't opt in then, Caleb. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, if I'm playing the game, I want the best players in the game to be on. You know, I want Dylan Gabriel at Oregon to be the quarterback, and so I. I'm gonna guess they paid Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler more than six hundred bucks. Well, of course. And uh, I'm just wondering why like, are are they going to negotiate? They have to, right? Negotiate individual. No, six hundred bucks to that's opt it. in. Yeah, they're saying that's it. That's what they're saying for, for now. For now. If they don't get enough players, I'm sure there will be some pushback. So back okay. back in the day before it went away, it was around fifty to seventy five thousand dollars for the licenses, right? The schools would get. So if you divide that by like hundred twenty, the guys, it comes out to about six hundred bucks. Well hmm. and the uh O'Bannon you know, the disposition of that case gave a thousand dollars to each of the litigants mm-hmm. who were uh, okay. seeking you know, uh, uh, money in that mm-hmm. case, but I'm having a hard time spitting that out. Um, I I just having a hard time with 600 bucks. Yeah. Just doesn't seem like very much. Number two. All right, Charlie Woods, 
He shot uh, 16 over 86 in the PGA Tour pre-qualifier. He would have beat me. Yeah, yeah, but that's not going to do it. He's 15, and um, it's clear that the teenager was struggling through his round. Uh, you know, he's p- played competitively at the junior level, but the pre-qualifier today marked his first solo attempt at a professional event. Um, I think it's interesting that he hasn't even played in an American Junior Golf Association tournament yet. Well, he can't. can't. He's Tiger Woods' kid. He can't show up out there. He's going to get mobbed. It's going to be a story. People are going to be too on him. He's going to do that next month, though. Well, go. Via an exemption. I I think this was cool that he did it at age 15. He gave it a try. But I I don't think there was that much pressure on him. This wasn't like, we talked about this yesterday. This wasn't like Bronny James going out and playing basketball and having everybody expecting him to be LeBron. Like, I actually didn't expect Charlie Woods to shoot, like, 67. Yeah. You know, I just thought, eh, it's cool that he's giving it a try. And he didn't shoot very well. But I did I did notice the scroll on ESPN. They said Charlie Woods fails Ooh. to qualify. <laughs> okay. And I thought that was a little harsh for a 15-year-old. You know what I mean? Yeah. I would have gone with Charlie Wood shoots 86, misses the cut. You know? Uh, Fails? Well, Fail is a bad word. But if you want to play in the big boy game, you got to deal with the big boy He's words. He's 15. Like, we have rules in journalism. Like, there's just an unwritten rule. In, and when I started my career and I was covering Little League games, the third baseman in a you know Little League game has a ball go between his legs for an error. We don't say... You know, uh, Joe McGee blew it. He botched. He buckered it. You know, yeah. We didn't. We didn't name him. We just said we would spin it positive, and we would say Stephen reached on an air. Yeah, but if Joe McGee was trying to play in Major League Baseball, you would just call it how it is. Well, he's yeah. I guess it's different. But is, I, it, is it wrong that yeah. I feel like they shouldn't be on TV then? Like, why are we putting these kids on TV if they're not? Yeah. We can't criticize I'm interested. All. I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority. I just I'm interested in this kid. I'm interested to see what he does. Moving to number three. Number three. Uh, the Iowa House unanimously approved Caitlin Clark Day to celebrate the Hawkeye Star. The day will be known as February 22nd. That is her jersey number, and uh, so she'll forever be part of the history of the state of Iowa, recognizing her accomplishments. That's awesome. Do you think she, that, that kind of stuff matters to her, that she cares about that kind of stuff? Mm, I don't think that's why she does it. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think she is just a, a, a like really strong competitor. I think she's like a dragon. And so she can. She's a dragon? She can collect these accolades, you know, and they're fine, and she'll accept them with some humility, I guess, but that's not why she's in it. Well, it's a uh, longtime editor friend of mine used to say, like when they handed out writing awards at the end of the year. Yeah. He'd say, This is not why you get in it, but if they're handing one out, you might as well take one. So if they're going to make a day for Caitlin Clark. You're Caitlin Clark. You take that day. Enjoy that. Like, you know what? She'll enjoy that. She's not going to enjoy it now. She's going to enjoy it like when she's 70. Yeah. She's going to tell her grandkids, you know, I had a day. <laughs> you know, nobody's going to care. Number four. Game, you know? 
you know. <laughs> At a day. Years old. Yep. I want to know what you think about this because uh, are you tired of Nick Saban saying these things or are you okay Depends. hearing it? He's just kind of on the rant saying, well, what we have now is not college football. He did an interview on ESPN. He says he wants to help any way that he can, even though he's no longer roaming the sideline. But he's really just complaining about the state of the sport. He says, you hear somebody use the word student athlete, that doesn't exist. He says, what you have now isn't name image likeness. A collective has nothing to do with name image likeness. He says, it's really more of a traditional employer-employee relationship between the school and the athlete. Yeah, and it ends up with players being paid. I mean, listen to him all season long. Here he was, here he was last June. Nick Saban, June. Well, I think you have to create a balance between how much do you take and how much do you give. Okay. Um, you know, we're giving people scholarships. We're creating name, image, and likeness opportunities. But what is their commitment? I mean, there's no place in the world where you don't have a contract. Uh, if you're going to receive benefits, you have a contract and an obligation to do a certain job. So when you can opt out, transfer, do whatever you want, whenever you want, I'm not sure the balance is quite right. Yeah, and he talked about that balance. That was last June. Here was the previous July, two years ago. But that's my biggest concern about where we're heading in college football is will we affect the competitive balance right, of the haves and the have-nots? And we're one of the haves. Yeah, so, uh, but I'm still. That's not good for college football. Remember, remember what he said May of two years ago. I don't know how it works. I don't, I don't know how you sustain a model like that. Now I know that we're going to lose recruits because somebody else is going to be willing to pay them more. Um, but name, image, and likeness is something that's here, and I think the more supporters that we have for the University of Alabama in all sports. Right, that are willing to sponsor players, whatever you want to call it, use them in your business to help your business, that's going to help our programs. Um, the thing that I fear is at some point in time, they're just going to say we're going to have to pay players. If we start paying players, we're going to have to eliminate sports. All right, and this is, this is all bad for college sports. I mean, we probably have, what, 450 people on scholarship at Alabama, whether they're women's tennis players, women's softball players, golfers, you know, baseball players, non-revenue sports that, should, that have for years and years and years been able to create a better life for themselves because they've been able to get scholarships and participate in college athletics. That's what college athletics is supposed to be. Nick Saban has been talking about this stuff for like two, three years. Mm -hmm. I, I, I actually think it's good that he is. He's one of the few people I think that everybody will listen to. But what will come of it? I don't think anything's going to come of it. I think the thing's <laughs> off the rails. <laughs> but he's like a guy standing at the train station saying, you know, the trains used to run on steam and coal, and now, uh, you know, they're running with uh, Elon Musk has got him is, on a loop. Is there anything he can say to kind of right the ship? <laughs> no. It, it's too big. It's too much money. And you know who's running it? Nobody in football who respects Nick Saban is running this. This is being run by television. 
The whole thing is being run by television. All the money, every, the entire system is driven by billions of dollars and TV. And the conferences and the programs have sold out. And the players have finally figured out a legal angle in which they can participate in some of this windfall success. I can tell you what would have fixed it is if college athletics had never gotten drunk on the money. I don't think it would have been a big, as big a deal for the players to go, hey, why am I not getting any of this? I think that's where it went off the rails. And so not even Congress could intervene at this point. I mean, they're going to try, but I think the players are going to unionize, and I think they're going to become employees. And then and I think it's going to be an eye-opening moment for them, too, the players, because mm-hmm. not everyone's going to win. Mm-hmm. And and I think there are going to be fewer schools that can afford to pay players, and I think you're going to have a lot of non-revenue sports. Saban's right about this. There's going to be a lot of Olympic sports that cannot exist in that model. Mm-hmm. Something I've been looking hard at, and it's a little inside baseball, is is it would it be possible for a conference, let's just say the WCC, on the western part of the United States, to take private equity investment and say, we're going to be an Olympic sports conference. We're not going to do football. Right. But we're going to take private equity money and we're going to try to build this into like, this is the Olympic feeder conference and we're going to play every sport that is not football better than anybody. There's an angle there for somebody if they want to seize it. Are we on number five now? Yeah, last one. Last one. Number five. Have you heard about the see-through uniforms in baseball? (laughs) Uh, Spring training's underway, and there's a lot of talk about the new uniforms generated by Nike, produced by Fanatics, and now the Major League Baseball Players Association head, uh, (laughs) Tony Clark, (laughs) is weighing in on the controversy. Yeah. He's saying, it's disappointed. We've landed in a place where the uniforms are the topic of conversation. And uh, he says a lot of the rhetoric is confirmation the pants are see-through. It's been an ongoing conversation where each day has yielded something new. And the pants are, in fact, see-through. So, like, a lot of these players are, you know, they're modeling these new uniforms. Nike's (laughs) touting them as breathable fabric. It dries faster. It's thinner. So cheesecloth pants supposed to make movement easier. You know, it's supposed to support athleticism. But uh, some of the players are showing how you can actually see their jersey tucked into the pants <laughs> under the pants. <laughs> Not safe for work pants. <laughs> I just I don't really get it. The you, tweets are great. If you look at Casey Schmidt on the Giants, uh, it's a little more revealing than just the shirt. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I should, Stephen. Uh, uh, Heather has tweeted, <laughs> I did an experiment and discovered that my new toilet paper is, in fact, less transparent than the new MLB uniform pants. <laughs> Chris says, the new pants are NSFW. Somebody's going to get fired. <laughs> There's a good one. Well, yeah, And the players are complaining that it, they feel cheap, you know. Yeah, they said TJ Maxx. Like. <laughs> what are they going to do if it rains? Peyton on Twitter, <laughs> yeah. White. Peyton on Twitter says, "Kind of crazy. MLB's been around for 120 years, and they messed up pants." <laughs> <laughs> Dude, 
Emma says, surefire way to get everyone sharing photos from picture day. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't get it because Nike very rarely they do know, look cheap. has a miss. They look cheap. So why yeah. why why are we doing My favorite about one this? was they took a picture of a real jersey. Yeah. And tweeted it saying, you know, this is the new jersey. And um uh, all of a sudden fanatics responded to the tweet and said, "Hey, that's an error. Give us a DM us. We can fix that." There was nothing wrong with the jersey. It was actually the jersey <laughs> of a Major League Baseball uh, you know, player who was in, in spring training. So um some players say they like it. Not uh, Mike Trout has said he liked it. <laughs> They're being drowned uh, out by the chorus of players that are unhappy. <laughs> Mike Trout and Jason Hayward both said they liked it, but um, uh, others are saying they look like they're from TJ Maxx. There's that. <laughs> I love TJ Maxx. All right. Kelly Graves is coming up. He is the basketball coach at the University of Oregon. They are struggling this season. A lot of you have asked me, what's wrong with Oregon? I'm going to ask Kelly Graves what's wrong and how he plans to fix it. How fast can they get good again? They're 2-12 and 12 this year in Pac-12 play. They play at Washington tomorrow night. They're 11-16 and 16 over the year. Um, you know, I think they have an opportunity to win two this week with Washington and Washington State women's programs are both bottom of the standings with them. They could possibly get two wins here and maybe a win against Cal coming up uh, in their final week of the regular season. Then the conference tournament where they'd hope to not be the 12 seat in the Pac-12. Kelly Graves next. Things have been tough for the University of Oregon women's basketball program. I, ha- I have people who ask me on a weekly basis. What's wrong with the Ducks? What is going on this season? Get Kelly Graves on the show. Ask him what's happening. It's not like uh, Kelly Graves forgot how to coach. At Gonzaga, he won about 70% of his games. Sweet 16 multiple times, Elite 8. The University of Oregon, you know his success. Final Four, probably would have won the national championship in 2020 had they had the tournament. But this year, it has been a real struggle in Eugene. The Ducks are 2-12 and in conference play. 11-16 11-16 and 16 overall. They are at Washington this weekend. Here to talk about it, uh, Kelly Graves. Kelly, you're going, into, uh, you're going into Friday night's game against Washington. And psychologically, you know, how, how is that feeling? Well, I feel good. I mean, you know, you're right. It has been a tough year. And, and uh, you know, I'm really proud of my team. They've, uh, you know, they continue to grind. The attitudes are great. They're, they're working hard in practice. I thought we had... Uh, yesterday and today, two of our best practices, uh, you know, in the last couple of months. So I think we're excited to, to, to move on. I mean, obviously, Washington, it's kind of crazy, John, second to last weekend of the season, and this is the first time we're playing the Washingtons, you know, Pac-12 and their scheduling, shaking my head. Yeah, and, and, and look, Washington's 3-11 three, three and 11 in conference play, Washington State 5-9. and nine. Um, not saying anything about them that they can put on the bulletin board, but uh, you know that's a series you probably would have wanted to play a couple times, especially this season. But give me an idea, like you know, for people who don't remember, Elite Eight, twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, Final Four, thirty three and five, and that twenty nineteen March of twenty nineteen. I covered that thing. It was a great tournament. You were set up in twenty twenty thirty one and two in the season. Uh, I think you would have won it all. I don't think we have to rehash all that but you have had some high highs how has it been for you amid this season personally with you know a team that's 11 and 9 and you know you probably feel like you're muddling along but how has that been psychologically for you personally it's been tough 
you know, it's been tough. I've been blessed over my career to to have had some really, uh, you know, great programs with a lot of really, really good teams. Uh, you just talked, to, uh, you know, about a bunch of them uh, a second ago. And so, you know, I've had some losing seasons, but it's always been in my very first season at whatever school it was, whether that was Gonzaga or here. And, uh, you know, and then once we we're in it more than one year we've had nothing but winning records and a lot of success and you know we've taken a step back it's just kind of been a perfect storm this year john and you know i'm not making any excuses this is just the reality you know we uh we didn't have much of a margin for error coming into the season and then you know first game four minutes into our first game of the year you know our point guard and perhaps our most important player you know she's kind of the heart and soul of the group and she tears her acl is done for the year and then sophie Bell's now missed the last three or four weeks, and she was having a great year. She's our best defender. And you mentioned the schedule, and yeah, we're playing the Washington schools and and the Arizona schools. We only played those two, those uh, four teams once this year, uh, and they're down in the standings with us. And so, you know, if you trade out those four teams for, let's say, the Mountain schools a second time or the LA schools a second time, you know, things could be different. Uh, you know, it's just one of those those years that, uh, you know, you, you kind of suffer through. It humbles you, uh, certainly relying on a lot of my coaching friends, all of whom have, you know, had seasons like this. And you just, like I said, you just do your best. You try to stay confident. You know, as old as I am and have had a pretty good career, uh, you know, I struggle with confidence sometimes. You know, am I doing the right thing? Uh, you know, it's, it's crazy. And, John, you look at our stats. So we have finished in our 10 years here first or second in the conference in assist-to-turnover ratio because that's one of our huge weaknesses this year. This year we're last. You know, we're turning the ball over at a, at a, at a higher rate than ever. Uh, we've been top four in scoring every single season in this, you know, since we've been here. And this year we're last. You know, we're, we're last in three-point percentage, and I don't think we've ever finished below the top three in the conference. So it's just kind of one of those deals. It's not like we've forgotten how to coach. We just, you know, the, the mix just hasn't been, uh, you know, where we need it with, with the players playing out of positions, playing maybe more minutes than normal. And, uh, you know, in the depth, we, we, we haven't enjoyed great depth. So, you know, it's just a lot of things, and we, we've got to just continue, and, and I think we're staying positive, and, and we hope that tomorrow we can go get the Huskies. You know, I was looking back at your last 16 years when, you know, in coaching, and, you know, it's a bunch of Sweet 16s, a bunch of Elite 8s at Oregon and Gonzaga, the Final Four. Um, how hard is it, or how realistic is it next season to get in the portal, get a little help there? I know you've got a couple of recruits coming in that you like. You get a player back from the ACL injury. Uh, you stay healthier. Um, how much better can you be in a year? Well, that's a, the great thing about basketball. I think, uh, you know, you can change your fortune quickly, you know, through the portal. The portal hasn't been kind to us. That's one of the reasons where we are where we are. But, um, you know, we can turn that over. I think Oregon still has uh, a big name. Uh, you know, there's no question about it. The kids that are in high school now grew up watching those great Oregon teams that we had. So we're able to get, uh, you know, to quality recruits. We just now got to go out and get them and, and turn this thing around. So I, I don't look at this as some kind of a long-term deal. I know there's a lot of noise out there, but, you know, people forget that, 
in our ten in our time here, you know, it was the Elite Eight, then the Elite Eight, then the Final Four, then the COVID year. Then after all those kids had gone to the pros, that next year people forget we still went to the Sweet Sixteen. And so in the history of this program, in the history, they'd only won five NCAA tournament games total and never more than one in a year. And we've won 12 and, and gotten to, obviously, uh, multiple rounds many times. So uh, I'm confident that, you know, and I've challenged my coaching staff, John, we've got we to gotta get out there and, and go get some, uh, some players. So we're going to be active in the portal. I like the group we have. I do. And I think there's some, some talent there. We're just really young. I think we're the youngest team in the conference. And, uh, you know, and, and so uh, in, the, in the best conference in the country, that's tough. You know, we, we just played seven straight games, John, against teams in the top 20. I've had writers and our sports information, you know, research that. I don't think it's ever been done in the history of the NCAA. Seven games in a row. And, um, you know, it's not that we lost the games. We just weren't that competitive in a lot of them. You have a chance here at the end of the season with a handful of games left and the conference tournament to try to salvage a little bit of this. How important is it for your team to play well this weekend? Let's just compartmentalize it. Oh, I think it's really important for this young team. Um, You know, certainly these games aren't going to be easy uh, by any stretch, and especially being on the road. But, you know, if somehow we can get three of these last four, uh, that, you know, that, that definitely are winnable, um, you know, that, and then maybe get one in the tournament. You know, yeah, we're talking about 15 wins. I think we're an attractive uh, brand. And so with the new WBIT, uh, which is NCA sponsored, you don't have to have a winning record to be in it. Uh, you know, I think we would be attractive to them. So, and then that's extra games for our young kids. But, you know, I can only worry about tomorrow night's game. Right that's uh, that's what's most important. And uh, beyond that, you know, we'll see. Give me an idea. You know, Sabrina, she shoots against Steph Curry in the NBA three-point weekend. I thought it was the highlight of the weekend. What what was that like for you to see her in that event? Well, it was pretty neat. We sat around and watched it as a family. And I agree with you. I thought it was the, the highlight of the whole kind of disappointing weekend. Uh, just the way they competed and, and you know, and, and shot at a high level. I mean, it was incredible. But I'm just really proud of her. You know, she gets married next month. We're we're heading down for that wedding. And uh, just to see how she's grown, not just as a basketball player, John, but as a just a human being. Uh, she represents our university so well, the women's basketball game and all of basketball. I think she's um, the first person that I can remember, Caitlin Clark's in this in this discussion now, but I really, I think the first individual women's basketball player that has had crossover appeal, uh, to the, you know, to men's fans. And so, uh, yeah, just, just really proud of her and everything that she's doing. What'd you think of Kenny Smith's comments after the event, you know, him saying, Oh, she should have shot from the WNBA line. I, I just thought for me, it was a win for the NBA. It was a win for Steph Curry. It was a win for Sabrina. And here came Kenny Smith shooting an air ball yeah i listened to him uh it was a little annoying i'm i'm not that upset about it i i hate to to uh, sabrina's credit she chose the the, the longer line yeah. good for her there's not a whole lot of difference uh, but you know there's guys out there and you know them you talk to them all the time that still just can't accept the fact that you know women are really good athletes and really good basketball players. It shouldn't matter which which gender you are. 
I, I think he misspoke. I, I watch him all the time. I love their their shows, and I, I don't think I, I don't think he meant anything bad. I think he's just kind of naive, like a, a lot of others. Kelly Graves, University of Oregon women's basketball coach. They're at Washington on Friday night. Uh, Washington State over the weekend. Um, I saw something on social media. It was a couple of NBA players sitting around talking about the good old days. Michael Jordan. <laughs> you and I have debated yeah. Jordan and LeBron. We can agree to disagree. You think LeBron's the greatest. I think Jordan's the greatest. I don't know what you're talking about. But but give me an idea. <laughs> they were saying that it's, you know somebody was asking, how would Jordan do in today's game? And I think he would score as well or even better than he did just because I don't think the defense is as good as, the, as it was, especially in the Eastern Conference in Jordan's career. But you tell me, what do you see out there? Defense is better or worse in the NBA? Well, defense is, is better in that there's far more analytics have become a bigger part of it. So I think teams really know how to break down and take away certain team strengths and things like that. The athleticism overall is better now. There would be a lot more players that are – uh, you know Jordan's ability in terms of athleticism. I think it would be. I think he would score even more. I mean, look at the game itself. Everybody's scoring right now. Even the bad players are scoring. And you know, back then, you know, the scoring was down, but also it's just a lot tougher. I mean, my goodness, you'd drive the lane against the Knicks, and you'd have Oakley and Charles Smith and Anthony Mason taking your head off. Well, the rules don't allow that now, so it's more of a, an open game, and so he would dominate, you know, the way he did back then. Uh, I will say this though: I, I don't think that. Uh, uh, well, like I said, other players can match up with them more nowadays. You know, other teams can score, right? Back then, think of the teams he had to go through. They were all defensive-oriented teams. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you just couldn't get away with that now. Yeah, and that, that conference was stacked when he was trying to win it. Like, you know, you were, they were just great teams, and the Pistons among them, uh, the Celtics, the Pistons, and others among them. Uh, Kelly Graves, all right, we wish you well this weekend. Yeah, go, thank go get you. a W on Friday night. Why not? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, there, there's no reason why we can't. I, I just hope that our, our kids aren't so beaten down that they're not excited for this game. And I, I think they really are. I think they believe that we can win, and we sure hope so. And I'm looking forward to being over in Pullman. I'm going to give a shout-out to my buddy Kyle Smith. You know, his wife played for me. No, really? And so, yeah, yeah. They have three boys. We have three boys. So, we, you know, we, we stay in touch. And I, I'm just really proud of him and them and you know, their family dynamics. I think he, I don't know if you've had him on as a yes, guest. a lot. Yeah, we've oh, had him quite a bit. Great. Yeah, he, you know, they have an autistic son, and, you know, my wife has an autistic brother, and so there's some things that we share, and I'm just really proud of them. I mean, good on him with this kind of a difficult year for the Washington State uh, to see them do so well. Yeah, so look, look he lost players in the portal, players to the NBA, and he replaced them with a big sky player, a, Sonoma State kid, D2 player, junior college player, and then uh, I think they're really good defensively. They're going to be a tough out in, in the tournament. They're going to be fun to watch. Yeah, no no doubt. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, it'll be good to see them. Uh, I know I'll see Katie while I'm up there. But, That's great. Uh, all right, yeah, Coach, and all the best to you. Yeah, good luck to you. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for joining us. All right, all right buddy. See you. That cannot be easy. When you have had success and the success that Kelly Graves has had, uh, and now you encounter a season where you're 11 and 16 overall. 
you're having to play number three, Stanford, number nine, Oregon State, number seven, USC, number 11, Colorado, number 12, UCLA, number 18, Utah. That's what he's talking about. Um, well, he'll get Washington all three and 11 in conference play and Washington State five and nine in conference play this weekend. See how they do. All right. Uh, coming up, uh, I got to deal with Matt Barnes, former NBA player out of line, completely out of line. And he's lost his broadcasting job because of it. We'll talk about parenting, youth sports, and you'll hear Matt Barnes try to explain why he uh, felt he was okay to berate officials and become the focal point at his kids' basketball game. Is it ever okay to become the focal point at your kids' basketball game? All of that next. We talk a lot on this radio show about youth sports and the cottage industry that it's become. And also, along with that, behavior of parents in in that youth sports setting. Parents and coaches, really. You know, I never find myself really talking about the athletes. I find that interesting. I don't find myself, like, talking about the kids and their behavior and what a problem they are. But it's 90% parents, maybe 10% coaches. And we had the story recently in Lake Oswego, a uh, youth girls basketball team. You had some uh, parents who wanted control of the roster, wanted their kids to play more, and essentially launched a, uh, a campaign to get the coach removed because the coach had come out and told the players, you know, I need your, your effort was lazy. I need better effort from you. And, hey, on the bench, I want better body language. And the parents did not like that. And uh, I got an update on that story, by the way. Um, you know, they ran the coach off. And the parents who made the big stink in Lake Oswego about the coach are now coaching the team. So you can you can kind of decipher what happened as it pertains to that youth sports experience. And gosh, what a lesson those kids are learning playing youth sports. They're certainly getting a lot out of it. And I know the parents won't see the absurdity of their own actions in it, but it's uh, it's really uh, kind of sick and and disgusting and. I wrote recently at johnconzano.com about parents, youth sports parents in particular, out of control. You need to uh, need to butt out, let your kids solve their own problems, support your children. Don't be a problem for your kid or your kid's team or your kid's coach or your town, okay? That's my note to you, parents. And certainly don't be a problem for the officials and running off officials for youth sports games. Real problem there as well. And if you're somebody who's yelling and barking at officials chronically at youth sports events, you may want to kind of ask yourself, you know, maybe project your own kid into the seat of that referee or 15-year-old umpire or whoever it is you're yelling at, whatever teenager you have singled out because your team's not getting a fair shake on the diamond or on the court or on the field. Maybe project your own kid into that situation and ask yourself how you'd feel about other parents yelling at that kid. I don't know. Or berate the uh, umpire, berate the official. Well, uh, we've got a story out of California that broke a few days ago. NBC Sports California, network uh, in the Sacramento area, has parted ways with Matt Barnes as an analyst for their Sacramento Kings coverage just weeks after the former NBA player had uh, an incident with a student announcer at a youth sports game. Um, Sacramento Bee reporting that uh, Barnes will no longer appear on that network. He was in his third season doing the pre- and the post-game studio analyst work for the Kings broadcasts. And uh, this comes 
after the former NBA player um, apparently berated a student broadcaster during his son's high school basketball game. You, you can't make this stuff up. So Matt Barnes was attending a matchup between the Harvard-Westlake Wolverines and the Crespi Carmelite Celts earlier this month. And video has surfaced of Barnes with his hand on the shoulder of a student announcer who was later identified by the Los Angeles Times as Jake Lancer. Now, according to Jake Lancer, as he informed the audience of a delay that was occurring because Matt Barnes, the parent, was berating the referees, the former NBA player approached the broadcast table and threatened to slap the bleep out of him. Now, Barnes appeared on the Dan Lebertard show. He does acknowledge yelling at the refs during the game. He is saying, well, I'll let him uh, hear it in his words. Here's Matt Barnes on the, uh, on the Dan Lebertard show. You had a public incident this week that uh, some people were videotaping you uh, threatening to slap the shit out of someone. I would not want for you to be threatening to slap the shit out of me under any public or angry circumstances. What ha- what happened? Why? What what happened? Uh, so what happened when we were at a high, my kids' high school basketball game, and uh, it was a championship, and my kids' team was picked to finish eighth out of eighth, and somehow they found themselves in the championship against Harvard Westlake, who was a nationally ranked powerhouse um so i was yelling at the refs dan i yelled at the refs my entire college career my 15-year nba career uh i coach au in the summertime i have high school boys and i have a five-year-old coming down the pipeline so i'm going to be doing a lot of yelling at the refs um but this particular incident um this kid right here and, and i will say my one mistake was putting my hand on his shoulder a lot of people want to say i grabbed this kid or i did this i literally put my hand on this kid's shoulder because he you know, it was almost like I was talking to my son. You know what I mean? He he told me to sit my ass down. And I, I was just like, you know, why do you feel comfortable enough to be feel like you can tell a grown man to sit his ass down? So um, he and I had a little back and forth. And, you know, again, obviously uh, admitting my faults to, to even touch him was wrong of me. But I, I want to make sure it's clear that, you know, the narrative of me is 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 some guy that beats up people. And I, I want to make sure people know I didn't body slam this kid. I didn't choke slam him. I didn't do any of the sort. I literally put his my hand on his shoulder like, you know, it was like I was talking to one of my sons. And, and again, for that touching him, uh, I was wrong. But I just didn't like the disrespect that came with uh, the, 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 the entitlement where they felt like they could say anything to me. Not only did that kid say some slick stuff to me, but there was a there was a woman in the stands who actually they caught a picture of flipping me off saying f you and i'm just like wow like you really feel that you could just say anything to me and again as you can see the video see i wasn't talking to their team i wasn't talking to their players their cheerleaders their fans i was talking to the refs the foul calls were 25 to 9 in that game so i was well within my right to be yelling at it, but you know, Dan, we live in a in a world now where perception is reality, and if the narrative fits, and you know, I am someone who has had a background of handling business, you know. So again, I didn't want this to get blown out of proportion. I even hesitated speaking on it because it has it has died down. But I just wanted, to, you know, first of all, it's, you know, apologizing for touching this kid's shoulder. Uh, I should have never touched him, but I did want to know why he felt comfortable enough to tell me to sit my ass down. And then I also wanted to know why the lady in the stands felt comfortable enough to say F you to me. 
Um, but again, I didn't get any no, of those answers. Clearly, Matt, and it clearly, is what it is. Clearly, Matt Barnes in the wrong here, an out out of control menace filled with fury and right. reputation. Oh, already know, yeah. already know. But twenty five to nine, Matt. I mean, that's you know, that's that's, that's ridiculous, ridiculous, right? That's I mean, you understand, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> you completely understand. All right, so I got to jump in here. Completely within his right to yell and berate the officials in a high school game. Because there's a foul disparity. Is that right? I don't think it is necessarily. I think, you know, I think it's okay to make comments. I think it's okay to have feelings about what's going on on the court. But it's sad to me that the focal point of this championship basketball game became Matt Barnes. And I don't know if he's just ignorant or if he's maybe just trying to hide a little bit. But the fact that Matt Barnes is standing off the bench, on the court, as a fan, yelling at the officials, hands cupped around his mouth, the fact that the it was so noticeable that parents, you could see the eyes of the parents uh, that are parents of kids on his son's team, they're embarrassed. You can see the points and the shouts from the opposing team who are pointing at Matt Barnes. They're all looking at him, too. The fact that the PA announcer has to you know, basically point out that, hey, we're, we've got a delay in the action because we've got a parent, Matt Barnes, who is out of control and needs to sit down. Um, you know, you, you've become the focal point, Matt Barnes. Like, and maybe an NBA player in his scenario, maybe Matt Barnes, and I shouldn't cast this on all NBA players because I know lots of NBA players who go to games, whether it's their kid's game or they're just supporting a local high school or whatnot. I've seen players show up at gyms all the time. And they don't become the focal point of what's going on in the gym. I think Matt Barnes is a little out of it, a little out of touch. I don't think he sees his role uh, accurately or his actions accurately. And a little disappointed with Levitard there and kind of downplaying, oh, you're such a menace. It's not that he's a menace. It's just sad. And it's a, and it's a statement about parenting and youth sports that should not be ignored. Matt Barnes should not have become the focal point. Shouldn't have put the hand on the kid. I watched the video. He put his hand on the kid. He's kind of, you know, but it's an intimidating move. When a former, you know, when an NBA player comes over, former NBA player comes over, puts his hand on the PA announcer's shoulder, who's a kid, and is lecturing him, I don't blame some of those parents who know that kid in the crowd who were objecting, saying, you know, get your hand off him. Get away. You have become the focal point. Is that what you want to be at your kid's sports events? You shouldn't. You should want to be there in support of your kids. You should want to be there to, to uh, share in the enjoyment. You should want to be there to tell them afterwards how amazing it was to watch them compete. The sad part is we're not talking about the game. Nobody's talking about the game. Everybody's talking about Matt Barnes. And the Sacramento Kings thought that Matt Barnes' behavior was so embarrassing that they said, yeah, we're good. We don't need you on our broadcast. And it may just be they were looking for an out and he gave it to him. But... Really disappointing behavior and really interesting to hear kind of the rationalization in Matt Barnes' mind after of what went on and what it all meant. Just fascinated by that. Don't be that guy. Okay, that's your goal if you're a parent. I had a lot of parents came up to me after I wrote the piece at johnconzano.com about parents. And I said, uh, uh, you know, he said to me, you know, John, you know, am I that guy? And I said, no, but the fact that you're aware of your behavior is a huge step in the right direction. Like, I don't know if you're that guy or not, really, when you go to a game, but 
Don't be that person. Don't become the focal point. Harvard Westlake and Crespi playing in this game. Student announcer makes the LA Times. It's embarrassing. Sacramento B writes about it. The Kings have to do something about it. Um, you know, here's how I know. Here's how I know that uh, you know the clips from the broadcast. By the way, do not align with Matt Barnes' explanation. They do not show Lancer trying to engage with him or saying anything offensive. Um, Harvard Westlake reported the broadcaster saying he showed uh, incredible poise under unusual circumstances. And uh, in the meantime, uh, you've got Sacramento Kings going, eh, we're good. We don't need any part of this either. All right. Appreciate everybody who listened to today's show. Great guest today. Great show. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. We'll be back with another great episode. Grab the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to it. Read me at johnconzano.com, and I'll catch you tomorrow. The bald-faced truth not here for a long time. Just a good time. Hey, John Canzano here on behalf of the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores. Portland to Salem and online at shoemill.com. If you're looking for the best shoes and you're looking for great customer service, whether it's for yourself or a gift for someone else, do what I do. Walk into the Shoe Mill Shoe Stores or go online at shoemill.com. That's right, Shoe Mill. They've been doing it for years at a high level. They are my all-stars and my go-to when it comes to shoes. Shoe Mill, they put the world at your feet.